there. What the? What? You are listening I to the Quarter to Three Movie Podcast for Transformers Four: The Extinct, The Ages of Extinction of Robots. It's something like that. Dingus will set us down <laughs> on that in a moment. My name is Tom Chick, and I am here with Christian Mulanski. Good job. Uh, you can just refer to me as the stranger from the cornfields. And with a Transformers Extinction tagline, Kelly Wand. Why wasn't this in the trash? <laughs> nice inside joke. Kelly Wand, do you want to explain that to anyone who doesn't uh, understand it? Uh, Fair enough. <laughs> I have my backup is Michael Bailey Ontology. I actually did throw away that movie that I think I mentioned on the podcast last week, The Jungle, and Dingus did not fish it out of the trash and put a note on it, insisting that we give it away to a listener. So, you listeners, you you missed, you missed, dodged a bullet. What was it? Uh, a terrible found footage movie uh, called The Jungle. Uh, we don't use the J word here. Wait, what was the premise? Um, that uh, found footage. What else do you need to know? <laughs> Is it jungle like... So uh, so I mentioned, I think I mentioned it last week. It's a uh, a leopard conservationist goes into the jungles of Indonesia, um, and is confronted by a forest demon. (laughs) Imagine imagine that elevator pitch. All right, listen to me, leopard conservationist. (laughs) I think if it's somewhere you're never actually going to be, it's not as scary. Unless it's the moon. Unless it sucks. Uh, I concur with most of that. I'll Hmm. go with that. Uh, let's let's talk about this movie this week. I am speaking uh, of moons. Yeah, what movies did what movie did we see this week, Dingus? Tell us oh. about what's this week's podcast about. Don't spoil anything. So don't oh, I certainly won't. Okay, for those uh, for those who have not seen it, right. I would not want to give away anything that they have not seen. Exactly. <sighs> so this week we saw Transformers: colon, Age of Extinction. Mm, I was close. <sighs> A 2014 science fiction action-adventure live-action toy adaptation American movie hmm. about robots that can fly but choose instead to drive. And it, punch. And punch. It was directed by Michael Bay. Hmm. Or it, might be, uh, it might actually be pronounced Mikhail. I'm not sure where it's from. Uh, and written by Eheren uh, Kruger. Mm-hmm. It stars T.J. Miller, Titus Welliver. Bing Bing Lee. Ooh. And, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's what you find out later on. And Mark Wahlberg. Uh, Transformers colon Age of Extinction is rated PG-13. For intense sequences of sci-fi violence and action, language, and brief innuendo. Oh, no smoking? Hmm, Interesting. Uh, all right, Transformers 4, which is how I wrote it in my notes. I guess that's technically incorrect. Uh, it opened with $100 million wow. domestically. Um, that actually puts it in second place um, uh, behind Transformers 2, but ahead of Transformers 1 and 3, if you're uh. track of that. Uh, uh, let's look at the critical. Oh, by the way, it did very, very well in China, of all places. Well, it takes place there. What? Oh, yeah, well, it's huge in China. The Chinese love this movie. Or at least they saw it a lot. We don't know if, if they love it. Um, uh, speaking of whether or not people love it, let's go to the critical uh, reception. Metacritic, which is the average rating from various reviews, Transformers Age of Extinction is at 31. <laughs> That's still high. 
That's each of them. That's for, that's for each of them. Well, let's go to Rotten Tomatoes. Let's see what percentage of them are positive, just the overall reviews. Transformers Age of Extinction on Rotten Tomatoes is at 17% positive. Mm. You can also look at that, if you like, as 83% negative. Okay. I can see that. Kelly Wand, I would like you to tell me everything that happens in Transformers. Maybe as if I hadn't seen it, just spoil for me the events of Transformers Age of Extinction. Maybe within Age of Extinctiopsis? That's pretty close. Thank you. What would it actually be called? Transformers Age of Extinctopsis. I just stuck an extra syllable. All right, so with whatever you've got, Kelly Wand, I would like you to drive it like you stole it. It wasn't a syllable, it was just a letter H. That's not the beginning. Transformers Age of Extinctopsis. Shit! (laughs) See what you did, Tom? You tommed me. That's right, it'll happen. Some spaceships that don't turn into anything fly to Earth and shoot lasers at dinosaurs, making them all extinct. (laughs) Except for a couple that evolve into robots. This process will eons later be referred to as planting seeds. Some rock music plays, but just to be safe, some words are all Texas, USA, with hyphens and an exclamation point. In his most convincing role since high school science teacher, Marky Mark is an electronics genius who grows corn and American flags on the side. (laughs) Wahlberg's character's name is Jaeger. Michael Bay gracefully conveys or conveys this by showing us that his license plate says Jaeger on it. They could have just called out Jaeger, but that's telling and not showing. Mm. <laughs> Wahlberg nudges his shaggy, fat surfer stoner friend riding shotgun beside him, honks his horn, and goes, Hey, look, an abandoned movie theater. Maybe there's a truck inside. The friend says something dumb. When they get inside, the friend tries to throw a football, but gets mixed up and throws his hand instead. What a loser. Wahlberg's all... This place used to not be abandoned. Then someone made a sequel. In the front row, Michael Basil. Just some humor there. Uh, for anybody who didn't see Jump Street. Uh, <laughs> That's how Michael Bay talks. I've studied his interview styles. Wahlberg's all. Boy, imagine how cool this dingy room might look in IMAX. Hey, some debris. Hi, debris. He picks up a chunk of dusty plastic that blows the 3D dust off it, revealing a small Transformers action figure of himself blowing dust off an action figure. He holds it up to the camera. He's all, only 38 bucks right now at Walmart. <laughs> the surfer friends all, hey, look, here's one of me as charred skeleton with my seatbelt caught. Although for my lore section here on the back, I think this word's supposed to be tearjerker. They left out the tear. He tries to throw a cream pie at his own balls, but he's so clumsy that instead he accidentally eats it and washes the dishes and puts them in the cupboard. Wahlberg drives back home to Nebraska on his tractor. Despite his character's alleged brilliance, instead of using the Internet to promote his services, Wahlberg's business consists of a wooden sign on his back porch that says, Dropbox broken, so come into bedroom and slam broken stuff onto my face while I'm sleeping. Pay half whatever you think it's worth. Is that Wahlberg or Scoop McNary? Couldn't Which tell. Was that? I couldn't tell from your impression. I was confused. from the rover. <laughs> what did you do to my Kelly, Tom? What did you do to my Kelly? 
Uh, Kelly's iconic Scoop McNary impression is from Killing Him Softly, though. Oh. That's, oh, that guy. That's where you really tag the essence of Scoop That's McNary. my actual voice. That's ah. just played myself. Very good. Uh, Pay whatever you think it's worth. That's what the sign says. I read that last sentence aloud a few times, then go out to the lobby and describe it to the usher. After considerable haggling, he gives me fourteen fifty back for my ticket, although I have to sign a bunch of forms and talk to his 14-year-old manager. I return to the theater and take my seat, only to find myself staring at the bronze IMAX thighs of the blonde actress playing Wahlberg's daughter as she traipses around in Daisy Dukes. I go back out to the lobby and give the usher another 30 bucks. <laughs> Damn you, Bay! <laughs> the daughter's all. Dad, you blew my college tuition on a truck cab without an engine that you found in a movie theater? Isn't that a little unmotivated? He's all. Look, baby doll, your academic potential's pretty limited. Plus, I promised your mom's picture here that I'd keep you a virgin till the fifth giant robot apocalypse. Dad, shouldn't some things never be invented? I've been thinking about this a lot. Come on, sweetie, who taught you how to make a toilet bowl out of solar panels? Or what a vacuum clean is called? Or how to run away from the wind? Dad! <laughs> oh, goody, I can't wait. Wahlberg's fat surfer buddy drives up again. He's big, but his car's small. However, just to be safe, the music's all, This character's stoned. He's all, bro, either your daughter's ass has given me a huge boner, I've just found a new way to shit my pants, look it. Wahlberg's all, speaking of which, I probably should have popped the hood on this truck before I bought it, but according to this logo and these giant metal truck nuts, I think we just found a Transformer. A possible Gobot. The Transformer suddenly wakes up and shoots at them and destroys everything in the barn. Then it goes, <laughs> hell oh. My name is Axis Carburetor. I think Megatron Legacy's the bad one. What happened in the last movie again? Meanwhile, Frazier's hunting down and killing all the mutants. I mean, Jedi. I mean, apes. I mean, jumpers. I mean, giant robots. <laughs> Which is easy, since they have no defenses or ways of concealing themselves. <laughs> He hates them so much that he wants to use the metal they're all made of, Age of Extinction, to melt them all down and then make them into evil ones that ignore all his orders. <laughs> Damn you, America. Because, as usual, the stoner called the CIA, Frazier hires some black SUVs with army guys in them to come hassle Wahlberg. The main CIA guys saw, we can do this the hard way if you want, Wahlberg. He raises his gun to the flag above the porch, cocks his pistol. The daughter's all, no, shoot me. Wahlberg saw, you heard her. Besides, to murder farmers, don't you need some kind of warrant? My face is my warrant. Here's the Xerox. The music's all, dude. Wahlberg saw, well, you're wearing sunglasses. Silence, Wahlberg. And while you're being silent, tell me which barn Axis Carburetor's hiding under right now, like a pussy. 
the stoner's all barn. Hey, uh, I think that communist robot planted a bunch of weed with my fingerprints on it under the barn and also all these pictures on my phone of my buddy's daughter here farting in the shower and these ones of me mutilating cattle. Suddenly, the barn explodes and Axis Carburetor starts attacking all the CIA guys, although nobody dies. One of the agents is all, Sir, that robot we expected to point here is shooting at us. What do we do? Go back to HQ for guns? The leader's all, My face says car chase. Suddenly, a race car launches from the cornfields in slow motion, does some donuts around Wahlberg and the daughter, then parks. A handsome young man smashes his head through the windshield and goes, Mr. Wahlberg, I'm fucking your daughter. Hang on. He burns rubber and peels out, pops a wheelie, drives around them some more, then parks again and lets them in by shifting some of his groceries to the Transformers trunk. The stoners all, wait, so this franchise is about giant robots that turn into race cars without drivers, but now our male leads a what? Wahlberg's all, lucky chomps, head for that corrugated metal warehouse with no exits. We'll be trapped in there. The Irishman drives into the warehouse. The car sputters and dies. Lucky Charms is all, damn, I guess I used up too much gas doing them donuts. That's not an Irish, right? <laughs> yeah. The CIA cars encircle them. The leaders all set weapons to my face. <laughs> <laughs> the daughters all, hey, Stinky, do that trick. She grabs his dick and they smash through a window <laughs> on a pillow factory. While the cars chasing them simultaneously explode, then get swept away by a tidal wave of sharks. Charms hogs the horn and flashes his hazards. He's all, yes, we just outdrove the CIA. We made it. Walbrick's all, not all of us. He nods at the stoner skeleton sitting in the back seat, cramped between his daughter and the Transformer. He's in the back of the car, Tom. Walbrick's all, Tesla, you're so grounded. Megan Fox nudges me and goes, at least Hitler's Reich was only a thousand years long. Meanwhile, John Turturro's character is now Stanley Tucci. He goes to the nearest junkyard where the Transformers live and go, looks, uh, he goes. <laughs> you were going to give him an accent. <laughs> Tucci? I can't wait to hear your Tucci, if you know what I mean. Look, guys, we know it's been three movies, but we've been talking to the Chinese, and, well, from now on, we're just going to shoot our missiles at each other out of silos. It's just way faster and a billion dollars cheaper. The Native American Transformers all, Ugh, that heap em womp em. The Samurai Transformers all, Confucitron say, now we have bored to sleep a waking giant. Tucci's all, look, to say it exactly the same way again, we don't need Transformers anymore, which is why I made this one. I call him Galvatron, since I was born a few states away from Galveston. Here's a picture of the hospital. Now get lost! Axis Carburetor sadly transforms his lower lip into an emoticon. One of the cops is all, You saved my sister in Chicago, slightly bluer Transformer number two. You'll get no sympathy from me. The fat Transformer stamps out his cigar and goes, Fuck! I turn to the nine-year-old beside me and go, so did the Autobots used to turn into stagecoaches? Meanwhile, on a CG road somewhere, the car Wahlberg and his young people are in swizzles and farts into a truck that honks its horn. There are, oh, yeah, woo! The daughter's all, that was so cool. Whatever happened on the outside of the truck just now that we didn't see? They stop at a different abandoned movie theater. The race car driver's all, look, Mr. Wahlberg, I'm not just Blarney stoning your daughter with Miss Shillelagh. I'm the greatest race car driver in history. In fact, I've even been picked up by Red Bull. He raises a can of it. The nine-year-old beside me is all, Nice! Wahlberg's all, 
Well, if you hadn't come along when you did, my stoner friend might still be alive. The Irish kids all. We got this paperwork here that states I can fuck a minor as long as we're within Texan borders. Michael Bay's done a lot of research in this area. Big surprise. Well, I guess I should just be happy for you. Tesla and Irish energy drink enthusiasts? Is that the best you can? They look around to find the daughter screaming from an alien spaceship that's already disappearing over the horizon. <laughs> They're all, God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> they jump aboard the distant alien ship, find a secret closet full of medieval human-sized weapons, and somehow find the daughter. Instead of fighting, though, the Irishman throws his gun down and comically surrenders to the aliens. He's all, I don't really love her. All the girls in the audience sigh affectionately. Wahlberg shoots all the aliens, then invents some cables to fasten the alien ship to the windows and steeples of some Chicago skyscrapers. Is that what happens? <laughs> <laughs> They start to crawl out along these cables while nearby Air Force planes jostle to reposition themselves for a better view right behind the daughter. (laughs) After 20 minutes of this, she's all, Dad, I'm not moving. I'm going back to that alien ship, and this time don't rescue me till we're closer to the ground, okay? (laughs) Well, sweetie, moving backwards is still moving, technically. Hang on, I got a better idea. He crashes the ship into a nebbishy guy's car. The (laughs) car... so long. You can do this. You can do this. The guy gets out and sputters, do you have insurance? Wahlberg's all, insurance? I just gave you a concussion with a freaking spaceship, bro. Oh, is this champagne? Check this shit, Poindexter. He guzzles the champagne as cops show up and arrest the nebbish and drive him off to prison. I turn to the nine-year-old beside me and go, isn't calling themselves Decepticons truthful? The kid's all, shh, exposition. Much like Godzilla and X-Men, Frazier's plot turns out to involve setting off a bomb in the middle of what he calls the most populous city in the world, Hong Kong, although it's actually 29th. As the Irishman jumps them across the Pacific using mushroom clouds as ramps, Wahlberg calls Stanley Tucci. He says, look, I know you sent guys to my farm to kill me, but we're both robot enthusiasts. Our best chance is to destroy Hong Kong. He hangs up. The samurai robots all, I've not felt this moved by a human since FDR soiled wheelchair in Pearl Harbor. Stanley Tucci hangs up, turns to Fraser and goes, hey, that thing we just spent three years and billions of dollars on, sub-redneck I've never met just said stuff on a phone to me, so I'd like to stall for time if I could. Fraser's all, huh? Tucci's all, look out, and drops his shoe. Then he runs to an elevator where his Asian secretary is checking her watch in disbelief. He's all, hey, uh... Mildred, I switch sides. <sighs> I can't do it anymore. <laughs> Meanwhile, Wahlberg squares off against the head of the CIA. The guy's all, my face says it has nothing to say to you, Wahlberg, except that is as fan. <laughs> God. Do you, need, do you need to jump ship? It's okay. <laughs> no, it's almost over. I'm trying to honor the source material. <coughs> There's no source material. Wahlberg starts to throw a football. The leader's all, my face says no. Wahlberg throws the football at the sink. The leader jumps out the window and explodes. Meanwhile, Axis Carburetor goes to Jurassic Park and tells some giant dinosaur robots that by letting him ride one of them down a Hong Kong street, he's giving them their freedom. <laughs> 
He rides one into a Chinese bus that says Victoria's Secret, and the war is over. The next day, a newspaper saw Frazier declared savior of Chicago again, <laughs> Hong Kong. Wahlberg crumples up the newspaper and sets fire to it. He shakes hands with Axis Carburetor. Well, I guess we did it. Thanks again. Will there be a fifth one of these? Axis Carburetor gestures at the sky and goes, pick a star at random and tell yourself it's my soul. The daughter and the Irishman kiss as the police drive Frazier off in handcuffs. All the black SUVs are now red, white, and blue. Wahlberg looks at us. Shia LaBeouf clears his throat and claps his shoulder. He's all, guess we both showed our dicks, huh? Uh, the end. Ugh. Wait, was that, was that difficult, Kelly Wand? Ugh. It just was difficult to think about. Mm. Uh, I, sh- I should confess something here at this point. You just, let, let's hear what you confess. I can't wait. I really liked this movie. <laughs> I kind of liked the first hour. I was expecting, and then it kind of... The more I watched, the more disenchanted I became. But for the first hour, I was laughing pretty regularly. Was it that? Was it like an Amazing Spider-Man kind of good? No, it, this is my second favorite Michael Bay movie, which usually isn't saying much, but... I came home the other night and found Dingus watching Armageddon, and I've always had a soft spot for Armageddon, and I further maintain that Armageddon is is a – I mean, there's a reason there's a Criterion Edition version of Armageddon. People make fun of it and are derisive of it, and there's some some risable things in Armageddon, but I think Armageddon is a really well-crafted spectacle, which has just enough gravitas to carry you through all the -the over-the-top silliness of it. I I think Armageddon is actually a really good movie. And I kind of feel that this is Michael Bay for the first time, because I'm not a fan of The Rock, of Con Air. I certainly, Bad Boys, the first one, I really liked watching Will Smith and Martin Lawrence, but I thought the second one was atrocious. Pain and Gain I thought was pretty weak. I've not liked any Michael Bay since um, Armageddon. And I kind of felt like this was Michael Bay kind of getting back in touch with some of the stuff I really liked in Armageddon. Um, so I'm going to go to bat for this. Um, are, you troll- are you trolling us right now? Not at all. Not in the least. I have- it is similar to Armageddon. There, but- there, there are parts of it that are lifted wholesale out of Armageddon. I mean, the, 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 the central relationship amongst the three characters, It's just right. he's just lifting that out of Armageddon. But It's totally no. lifted out of Armageddon. Right. That's right, yeah. And, and you, you, were tr- you were messing with me earlier saying – suggesting that you didn't even stay for the whole thing, you creep. Why would I walk out of this? I really was so dreading this, by the way. I was so dreading wow. so long. Um, and just because, like I said, I, I Michael Bay just hasn't done anything that's appealed to me. I also came home the other day and found Dingus. Or no, at some point, Dingus started watching Transformers 3, which I had not seen. Saw the first one and hated it. I don't even know if I saw the second one. Probably not. So Dingus and I watched part of, the, of Transformers 3, and it's abysmal. I gave up. Uh, about halfway through, Dingus, did you ever finish Transformers Three? No, I, I when when I realized because it's it's about ten minutes shorter than this. Um, this 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 movie is two hours and forty five minutes long, I think. Uh, I I I had a uh, I had a really good time watching the first hour because we were just laughing because it it was fun to laugh at it. Well, and it's ridiculously um, bad. I mean, it's just it's, incomprehensible. It's, funny. It's, it's incomprehensible. It's incompetent. Yeah, but then it moves. Uh, past that sort of fun, like oh, this is fun to laugh at too. It's just tedious, right? And then I, I looked at, you know, I, I clicked. Uh, how much time do I have left? I have another hour left. Yeah, I cannot do it. I can't do another hour of this. So for so for Transformers three, I 
I just couldn't do it. I couldn't. I couldn't do it. So you obviously also must have been dreading to go see Age of Extinction. I was terribly dreading. It's two okay. hours and 45 minutes long. Uh, based on scheduling, there was no way I was going to be able to see it unless I took my son to see it with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was worried that, uh, it, you know, how he was going to have to deal with it, whether it was going to be totally appropriate for him. Um, it was just, I was really dreading seeing this movie. All right. And? Um, and I'm afraid I God. I, I don't know if it's because I saw Transformers 3 first, and I remember... Go- Did we go to see Transformers 2 in a theater? I was- honestly don't... I, I don't oh, no, know I, if I've seen it. I, I, no, no. I think we went to see one of them with a group of friends, and it was a painful experience. I thought that was the first one, and I thought I'd learned... second one's where the mom eats pot brownies. All right, well, I... They don't distinguish themselves at all, and this one actually felt... Uh, I actually liked a lot of it. I don't know if it's if it's Mark Wahlberg. Um, I got really angry at it when they killed off the best. When yeah. they killed off T.J. Miller, I got really angry with it. Uh, but so much of it is good that I was surprised. I mean, I can't believe you said that, Tom. I thought you were going to say I, you didn't even see it. I'm still suspecting you're trolling me. You think but, I'm going to, Dingus? Do you think uh, I'm going to bitch out on you? You might. <laughs> It's a movie um, quote, by the way. Uh, uh, I, I kind of felt, you know, and, and that's why I went to watch, that's why I wanted to watch Armageddon last night. Because I thought. I, you know, when I, when, as I was sitting there watching Transformers Age of Extinction Dingus, I was like, you know, I'm kind of liking this. It's kind of like Armageddon. Oh, I bet that's why Dingus came home and wanted to watch Armageddon again. <laughs> yeah, and that's kind of what happened. Wow. That, that's uh, a lot of bad. Uh, you know, we, we've given week. you a hard time. Everybody gives you a hard time, and I'm, I'll be happy to return to that later on in other podcasts, um, you know, to be a, a deep impact apologist to give you a hard time about Armageddon. But Armageddon is really effective. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I'm a I'm an easy crier, so, but yeah, there's so much in there. He's so good at pulling heartstrings. I hate all of his American flag stuff. But, uh, but I had to watch Armageddon to see, like, Good lord! I mean, why? Why all of a sudden in this fourth Transformers movie does he regain his whatever stride he had? Right, because, right. because so much of it works. It's so weird. I don't understand. So here's one of the first things that I think makes this more effective as a as a, as a Michael Bay movie, even as a Transformers movie, as flat as an action movie. I think it's less about being a wacky kids movie. You know, Dingus, you mentioned being angry that T.J. Miller gets killed. I love seeing T.J. Miller in this. You and I are big fans of T.J. Miller on podcast appearances. I know that you are really enjoying him in um, Silicon Valley. Yeah. Uh, so I really like seeing him in, in this, and I loved the way they were using him to sort of, I don't know if it's lampshading technically, but to comment on stuff, to say things like, what kind of cars are those? Those are really scary. When, when you know, I mean, that's, that's so self-aware kind of. And then they kill him. And, yeah. and I think that... That's one of the signs of an adult movie is when you're yeah. willing to kill your sidekicks. <laughs> yeah, they certainly don't do that in uh, Armageddon. I mean, he doesn't kill it. He doesn't. They do in Armageddon. Are you being facetious? Because no, I kept watching when we were watching Armageddon. I was like, who just died? People are dying right and left well in Armageddon. Sent. Well, not that early, though. You I mean, you still have the right, gift. Right, right. Right, but I do think that if you're so in love with your sidekick that you're going to keep it around the entire movie to, to wisecrack, and they kind of replace him with, with Stanley Tucci, but... 
that's one of, to me, one of the first signs that this is a more adult movie and not just wacky kid shenanigans is when they're killing the side, to, when they're willing to kill the sidekick. Uh, okay. and, and even, by the way, it's kind of adult and it's kind of dark. Um, it, th- there's plenty of cursing. Uh, and I, the first word in this movie is shit. Yeah. <laughs> I was actually, like, wow, okay. My son and I, because, you know, I'm very sensitive to that kind of thing. I looked up all of that before going. Uh, there's, I think there's nine shits in it. Then there's two, uh, there's two F words. One of them is bleeped out. And the second one is, I think is useless. Um, but the, it is, I mean, it was weird for me to see, uh, T.J. Miller killed off. And, and it is, you're right. It is sort of a harbinger of it being an older movie because for my kid, he, he was like, uh, you know, at that point, he, he was going to tune out because he actually, this is an actual character he was interested in hanging around with. Uh, and now he has to go for two and a half more hours without that. Dude. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's an effective way to say, you know what? We're serious. People might die. In the movie. <laughs> but what else is, I mean, for, you know, as much as I like T.G. Uh, Miller, what else is he going to uh, say? I mean, he's, he said as many goofy off, things. I mean, he can say all those goofy things about scary cars and whatnot for the rest of the movie, but why bother? I mean, he said everything funny he's going to say. I also don't what? think, and, and Kelly Wand, you you have mentioned, you've brought this up previously. I don't think they're shying away from making it clear that people are getting killed. I mean, I know they say, oh, at one point they they reference Optimus Prime refuses to kill humans, but he'll kill Kelsey Grammer. But he shoots a dude with a big old gun in that barn scene, and I don't think they do any of that goofy shying away. You know, I, I need to check on this because Kelly Wan and I have previously talked about in Close Encounters when the cops are chasing the UFOs <laughs> and one of them drives off of a cliff. I seem to recall that Spielberg insisted on a scene of the cops all groggy in the car to show that they're okay. That never did. That shot doesn't exist. You might be right. But in this movie, there's none of that. I, I think this movie <laughs> is willing to let you think, uh, you know, and you even, by the way, see a body fly through the windshield of an SUV at one point. Uh, I think this movie is okay with letting you think that lots of people are getting killed during all this destruction. Um, I think it's kind of dark in, in that regard. Uh, and it doesn't have the stuff that the previous movies had where, like, they pee oil, you know, the, the, the Transformer pees oil, and it's got right, a lot right. less of those ridiculous shucking and jiving little sidekick robots they they make an appearance but there's a lot less of them uh there's no john turturro by the way you know john turturro still he's he's absurd in those movies and i guess that's what michael bay wanted but i don't think there's any equivalent of that level of ridiculousness um when stanley tucci showed up for his first little scene where he talks about the the sound the door makes i got these really uneasy flashes of john malkovich in the third movie who is just embarrassingly bad slapsticky you know his spray on tan and his smile i mean he's so embarrassingly bad and i was a little worried they were going to do that but they pull away from that and i thought stanley tucci did a great job of sort of rising above the material in this so a lot of the pitfalls from the previous movie i kind of felt like he avoided here and it's weird uh, because what's the movie that we really, we really, uh, or at least I really felt uncomfortable about that. It was one of the. It might have been Furious Six, where the, where the tank is Fast just, Five, Fast Five. Oh, yeah. was it Fast that, Five? That freeway chase, yeah. Where they're just driving down the freeway and just crushing SUVs full of families and just ignoring the fact that they're doing it, and, and there's no sense of that. I think, I think there is that here. I think that, yeah. and, and that's that kind of sadly made me uncomfortable because I feel like I shouldn't have taken my kid to see this movie and I don't 
I'm usually really, really careful about that. I, I don't think it's a good movie for kids. And there were kids all around yeah. me. Yeah, um, it's, not like, yeah. it's not like I think of the Avengers where it's clear like they've evacuated a lot of those buildings or that's that, that's the, the implication when all the, the these huge beasts Right. These Chitauri, Chitauri things are flying through buildings and destroying them. That somehow everything has been evacuated and not thousands of people are dying. Or like with Superman or Returns or whatever. Oh, right. That's right. Thing is, I forgot uh, about Superman here. What was the Superman? Man of Steel, uh, where like the city is just getting destroyed and they just sort of ignore it. Here I do feel like we're supposed to feel like when these cars are being thrown about and restaurants are being destroyed and all of these buildings are collapsing and ships are being taken up into the air and thrown into the earth uh, that this represents death. Um, I don't think there's any doubt about that. And I felt really bad about that, but I think it's a testament to the idea that, yeah, it's kind of more of an adult movie. It's kind of weird. I feel weird about that. Kelly Wand, are we giving it too much credit? Uh, I've only seen parts of the first one. And I think Armageddon sucks balls. And (laughs) the rock is awesome. But I oh, the, feel the rock, the movie, or are you talking about the actor? The movie and Peyton Gate. I'm a Peyton Gate apologist. Oh, I hate the rock so much. The movie, I hate the movie so much. Why? Why? That's a good one. You know, like Connery and Michael Bay. I, I think it's just a mess. Vanessa Marcel. Yeah, but I mean, this one's if a mess. You can't get a chase through the streets of San Francisco with a bright yellow car and a Hummer. I mean, whatever the cars that they're they're doing a chase with. If you can't if you can't adequately show me what's going on in that kind of a car chase, then forget it. And I just remember watching that movie, The Rock, and going, I can't tell what's going on in this car chase, so fuck off, you know. But Kelly Wand, as someone who has previously, you know, you've also been sensitive to this idea that you know we're just glossing over the fact that lots of people are dying and all this destruction. Uh, and Dingus and I are feeling that this movie is kind of willing to let that be, to let it color the action and let it be kind of dark. You think we're giving it too much credit? Eh, I'm like, no, I don't. It's it seems like it becomes a kids movie towards the end because you have like a giant robot riding a giant metal dinosaur and no one dying from that point onward. Like it feels like a cartoon during that section to me. But in the first hour, it seemed like there were there was at least, like when T.J. Miller died, I go, oh, maybe everyone can die. Maybe it's like the Game of Thrones of the of the Transformers mythos, or they'll refer to Shia LaBeouf's character as dead. Like, is he still in this? I don't know. I will say that's another reason that I think he uh, I the the previous movie one of the 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 things where the Transformers three gets off on completely the wrong foot is. It's about a snotty little annoying kid who is dating a supermodel, yeah. has a really cool apartment, can't really decide what to do with his life. Right. And it's so – Shia LaBeouf is so grating. And I also can't help oh. think, and I feel a little bad about this, You know, all the stuff that's happened with him. You know, He was just arrested at a production of Cabaret in New York, um, and there's footage of him picking a fight earlier in the day, and, and there's just so much weird stuff going on with him. And it's kind of sad to think back. You know, there's some Shia LaBeouf movies where I think he's fantastic. Um, you know, if you see your, your everyday guide to saints, he is so good in that. And I feel like something happened where Michael Bay thought- broke him. Something happened where he got caught up in Hollywood crap, like trying to be the hero in the Indiana Jones movie. I think that's kind of where you can see it start, and then in the Michael Bay movie. And and he, I, I don't think he belongs in those kinds of roles. And you know, I'm sure he's rich from it. 
but Wahlberg, you know, it's kind of an important transition to lose this snotty rich kid dating the supermodel. And, and I'm okay with this. Just plug in wholesale the Liv Tyler, Bruce Willis, Ben Affleck relationship, uh, from Armageddon. Because that, and to make it about blue collar people. I mean, as manipulative and, and crass as that is to just appeal to, I don't know, red states or however you want to put it, the fact that we have this, this sort of Americana trope, you know, the guy in Texas who's a real can-do fellow who doesn't want the government on his property and who's not going to let the bank repossess his house um, and who's got American flags everywhere um, and who just loves his daughter. And I mean, that's so kind of cheap but effective. And I just feel it's really important that Michael Bay ditched whatever he was trying to do with this idea of Shia LaBeouf as an underappreciated hero who has saved the world and is now banging this hot, talentless chick. That was just so grating in the last movie. Wait, she plays a talentless chick? No, just the actress that he had. She was, uh, actually, she was, a Victoria, she was literally a Victoria's Secret model. That was her credit. Right, and she was cast as a female lead in Transformers 3. And it, it, she's, it's horrible. I mean, she's, see, that's, a, that's what I'm saying. It's like Megan Fox was the Robert Duvall of the Godfather movies of the Transformers. And so I think without her, you lose something. Because I think well, the there's no place for her here. Because it's not the she's chick and the little nerdy kid having his sexual fantasy fulfilled by having an adventure with her. You know, that's not what we're being shown here. We are being shown a family. And I feel that that's a far more effective anchor for uh, for the movie. Meh. It was a family with T.J. Miller, and then the race car driver shows up. And then, I don't know. Is he, the, is he really going to take care of her? I think he's terrible. I think he's terrible, too. It's terrible. And, and you know what a lesser movie would do? Is it would introduce the relationship first. I think he's terrible. I hated the guy. I would have loved them to kill him. Yeah. But I loved the way he showed up. I, I loved the way he showed up, and I love that what happens is that he is continually the coward. He's, he's a coward for the whole exactly. movie. Yeah. He, can, he can drive a car. That's what he can do, and I mean this. This movie is basically, you know, a, lo- a series of endorsements. He provides one of the endorsements, and he drives a car. And other than that, he's allowed to. And this is why they have to cast a guy we don't know instead of Ben Affleck. Uh, he's just allowed to be a coward for the whole. And basically, he's a coward, and I kind of like that. That happened. I I don't like that we have to sacrifice. T.J. Miller, because one of the things that my kid said was, I wish they would have killed the boyfriend instead of yeah. T.J. Miller. But one of the things that's so effective is that Game of Thrones thing. And you're totally right, Kelly. Because um, nobody else that up, other ones. You're, you're totally right, because for the entire movie, and one of the things I like is this movie is so loud that I could talk to my kid during it and nobody minds. Um, my kid's like, is she going to die? He's going to die now, isn't he? I mean, once, <laughs> once you remove, once you kill T.J. Miller's character, once you eliminate him in that weird sort of subversion of... I, I think it's uh, Last Action Heroes. Like, oh, I, I can't be killed. Oh, I'm the, I'm the comic sidekick. Um, once you do that, yeah. you the, the audience gets this uneasy feeling like, well, anybody can be killed. And it's it lends this weird tension. So you're right about the Game of Thrones thing, I think. And we're not really led to 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 assume that they're all smart people. Like they're all just kind of dipshits, like in out of their depth. So I actually kind of like that too. Well, no, no, they they have they have their various competencies. I mean, they're not just dipshits. I mean, they have 
they, they may not be the smartest of people and the most educated, but each of them has a competency. No, but in the first, in the other movies, it's like there's Tyrese Gibson and uh, Josh. Like there's like five different army characters. Like it's all about just organizations and like. Oh, okay. Right. Well, as in this, it's like just some random people. Like, I'll, I'll yeah. say that's another one, by the way. Uh, you know, they've had Josh Dumail as the commando dude who, uh, Dingus, I forgot what you said about it, but it looks like every time it cuts to him, it's like, it looks like he has no idea what he's doing in this right. scene or why he's there or what he's looking at or how he's supposed to react to anything. Josh Dumail looks so completely lost, whereas, ironically, Titus Welliver, I really like that guy. Yeah, me too. I like the look of him. I like what he was doing. The it, face guys. It takes yeah. – uh, Titus Welliver for sold you know that line my warrant is my face <laughs> writing is so contextual it is so if that line had been in like a serious movie it would have been ridiculous if another actor had tried to say it, it would have been ridiculous but to give that line to someone Titus Welliver did it like he, he carried it and I, I liked him as the bad guy and I liked him as the face of this cemetery wind commando op um versus Josh Dumail you notice that 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 again was something that lose Josh Dumail, bring in Titus Welliver. I think that was hugely important. It was a big part of I think what worked. Oh, he's yeah, the yeah. only he's the only useful bad guy in the movie. I don't think there's anything else. I mean the the gun face alien robot dude. I mean that he's a terrible. I mean yeah. I was talking I was talking about this with my kid this morning because we were talking about all the movies we love. We were talking about the Avengers, how awesome Loki is. I mean there's just no good. There's no real good villain in this, but Tyus Welliver does his. He, as long as he's in the movie and vital in it, he's he's good. But there's I don't think there's anybody else who's a decent villain. You say that thing is, but I liked the little brief showdown that Kelsey Grammer and uh, Stanley Tucci had. Now this movie, nearly three hours, it feels long, but I don't feel like there's a lot of filler. And for instance, in that scene, I was glad didn't get cut. I liked Kelsey Grammer saying, you know, we both have been trying to do things, but how come you're the billionaire? I like that he got that little moment. And, you know, he wasn't really fleshed out. He was just your typical mustache-twirling, misguided patriot-type neoconservative or whatever he was. Right. Um, but I liked what Kelsey Grammer was doing. Um, <laughs> he's not in it very much. Nope, and he doesn't need to be. Uh, he's kind of the, you know, he's the, the face of the shadow government. You know, the scene with, uh, is his name Tom Holland, that comic, uh, where Kelsey Grammer just sits in the back of the room and looks foreboding. Uh, that worked for me, you know, just have him sit there and look look scary and have his stentorian voice sort of do the work. Um, and he represents the evil government conspiracy. Oh, okay yeah, with that. It, yeah, it's Tom Lennon. Lennon. Uh, and that uh. scene was, is so weird. He's like, I'm the new chief of staff. And, and the main way we're going to show that Kelsey Grammer is the bad guy is because he's sitting over my left shoulder and right. I keep looking back at him and that kind of thing. I, I've seen Tom uh, Lennon in far more embarrassing roles, though. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, Usually he plays a gynecologist or something. Uh, he, it, it, doesn't, he, doesn't he, and you should know this, Dingus, doesn't he uh, prescribe or diagnose Batman's broken back in the, the Bane Batman? What? Yeah, I think Tom Lennon is the doctor who tells Bruce Gossip Wayne. Thing. Yeah, who tells Bruce Wayne, sorry, your back is broken. Uh, I think that scene was another of Alfred's hallucinations. <laughs> Explain the uh, dinosaurs to me, Tom. Since oh, my God. Okay, so this, by the way, I'm sorry that I watched trailers, and I, I, I told Dingus' son that it has Dinobots. 
I, I that to me was so ridiculously inspired. So first of all, one of the things I really liked about this one as well that I don't recall from the other movies, and I, I kind of wished I'd seen whatever the Battle of Chicago was because they reference it, and I assume it's just the big crazy action set piece at the end of Transformers Three, because I kind of like the action in this. I, I thought it, it, it was energetic, it was it was fluid, there, and, and most importantly, it was kind of varied. There were these varied settings, like that first riverboat, um, the Texas farmhouse, of course, the the mesa. Like at one point, we cut to a helicopter who turns into a samurai who grinds down the side of a mesa. And I was like, what? what is? And then John Goodman shows up as a transformer <laughs> with a cigar. I was like, what is going on here? This is ridiculous, but it's different. Okay, what do you got for me, movie? You know, I liked Hong. <laughs> I liked the, the nightmare ship sequence, which is just weird. Um, the giant magnet thing was awesome. So how are you going to top all that? Optimus Prime is going to freaking tame a dragon. I mean, I don't know what that was. I presume, I know that Dinobots are some kind of toys. I guess that's a nod to it. You know, when he's talking about legendary warriors, I'm like, oh, more Transformers, whatever. I forgot dinosaurs were going to be in it. So I, I just thought it was just inspired lunacy. It was just so ridiculously absurd that he ride, he tames a dragon, because it's not just a dinosaur. It breathes fire and then rides it into battle. Uh, what I can't explain it to you, Kelly Wand, other than to say, I really like I, I really liked the dragon, the dinosaurs. Yeah, I did too. Cause, uh, you know. just needed them for that. He just needed to ride it, huh? That's what he was. <laughs> no, they came in and they were breathing fire and they were picking them up and shredding them and, and I, biting them and, and it yeah, was and that's, up, it was set up at the beginning of the movie. I just uh, want to make sure he could turn into a car, but he needs a dinosaur to ride. And they even play with that because because one of the, one of the other uh, Autobot says. Oh man, I was expecting a giant car. Right, right. <laughs> and you get it set up at the very beginning of the movie, where you get this sort of like alternate. What's kind of uh, another thing I like about uh, having you know watched Armageddon again? And I, I promise I will not speak positively of Armageddon past this podcast. I I will return to my roots. Uh, but but is it's that the movie opens basically with Michael Bay showing an alternate reality of oh, what right. happened when an asteroid hits the Earth. I forgot about that. Um, and and my, uh, my kid's leaning over to me going, that's a Psittacosaurus. That's this kind of dinosaur. That's that kind of dinosaur. Uh, and then we get to the Arctic, which th- we have a helpful title card saying the Arctic. And uh, there, there's a dinosaur in the, in the ice there that they're uncovering. And then later we realize, oh, this whatever, this servant of the creators is collecting all of these dudes. And that's where they came from. Um, I, I love that when he uncovers these legendary warriors, that that's what they turn into, and and that it develops into that. Uh, you know, I'm not. I don't know that I can sign on for liking the the way the action is directed as much as Tom is doing right now. But I love that spectacle of of uh, of Optimus Prime taming a dinosaur and riding him into battle. That's just such a great. Idea. And not only that, Dingus, but then after it, for their service, he just releases them into the wilds of Hong Kong. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Save the city. It's awesome. Yeah. Uh, so Kelly, did the did the the dinosaurs were too much for you, or uh, no, no, I was just curious what what like where they came from, or um... I presume they're just because aren't Dinobots a line of toys? Like, isn't that old? <laughs> I met in the war of the movies. Have we ever seen these guys before? They... Well, in, in this yeah, particular was... movie, they were seated. I mean, that was that was the beginning of the movie. They the these 
the the seed replaces all of the dinosaurs with metal versions of them, and then they uncover them in the ice, and then the collectors take them. But they can't talk English, but the other ones can. Well, there was no English at that time. Yeah, tell you The English yeah. is a fairly recent invention. I'm yeah. sorry. So they talked hip hop with robots. <laughs> uh, so even even Bumblebee can't speak English. I mean, not everybody. He did so in the that, first movie. By the way, that's another thing is I don't know. Are these other like Bumblebee? I have no idea why anyone should freaking care about that stupid robot. Um, but the John Goodman robot and the Ken Watanabe robot and the Ray Winstone robot, who I was sad to discover wasn't actually Ray Winstone, are those new robots? Like we haven't seen those before, right? Or have we? We've seen uh, – oh, I don't know if we've seen Kendall. Uh, I don't know who the Ray Winstone robot – which one was that? He's the one who had the, who has the English accent and his whole – it looks like he's got on a long duster. He's green. I don't know. How oh, and he's, like, and he's constantly like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm, I'm not going to do this. And then right. he's like, oh, well, I will. Right. I mean, it was a terrible – But those are those new robots? I don't remember. <laughs> okay, because I didn't remember seeing them in Transformers 3. Transformers 3 is constantly throwing robots at you, and I think you're supposed to know who they are or care about them or something. I, this one, I was fine with the, as they self-titled themselves, the Pathetic Four. I didn't need a whole bunch of extra robots. I got plenty. Uh, uh, so, so, and I, you know, I, I like the John Goodman robot. I, I just have so much goodwill for John Goodman, I think, that once I, I realized that was him. Great job. I, I think I love so. his it's, voice. He was awesome. It's like an action star, like John Goodman beating the crap out of robots and shooting one of them with his cigar. Like, I, that was, I, I, yeah, I was totally on board with that. <laughs> and I think it's, again, just having so much goodwill for, for John Goodman. Um, I think I like movies where it's all one day, and I think this was just, like, the crazy day in Wahlberg's life. Because doesn't it all happen? I hadn't even thought about that. Uh, the Charlie and Chocolate Factory is all they, one. And they no, do camp out for a while at various yeah. places. Yeah, yeah but just for an hour. Um, yeah, what? <laughs> they piss uh, oil? Is that what you said earlier? What? They kiss a what? They urinate oil. No, what's Oh, what? no, there's one. Yeah, there's like a Transformers peeing joke. Like, doesn't a Transformer pee on uh, John Turturro in yeah. one of the movies? So they have dicks. But there's no – and again, it's part of the oh, adultness of it. There's, adultness. <laughs> there's no pee jokes or poo jokes or fart. There's no farting in this movie as far That's as I true. know. It's hugely forward. They don't have dicks. They have dicks. <laughs> the Kintrats form. <laughs> what were you going to say, Tom? Something about uh, science. I, uh, he, I, I just – I can't say enough also about Stanley Tucci. I really, I is he in the other movies? No, no, it's totally new here. And as I said, I was a little uncertain when they first roll him out. But over time, I really liked what he was doing. So I mentioned uh, last week I'd seen the trailer for this, and I really was dreading seeing the movie. But that I was curious to find out that it stuck in my mind. There's a point in the trailer where Stanley Tucci sees something and goes, "Oh my god!" And he's Stanley Tucci, and he really sells distress. You know, if you tell Stanley Tucci in a script to scream, oh my god, because you're freaked out by something, he can sell that. So that moment in the trailer, so I'm sitting there watching the movie, <laughs> thinking when is he going to yell, oh my god, and what's he going to be freaked out at, and how could it possibly top anything I've seen, and sure enough it was that a, a, a freaking passenger ship was going to fall on him. Right. And I was like, yeah, good enough, that, that, that merits Stanley Tucci freaking out, yelling salt, good enough. Thank you, movie. After all he's seen and done, that's... I was not disappointed. Kelly Wand, a freaking boat was going to fall on him. Uh, Come on. I'd rather get hit by a plane. (laughs) It's an idiotic exchange, though. It's like, that's a giant magnet. It's 
<laughs> picking up metal and dropping it. Thanks. Thank you for that exchange. And what a ridiculous, too, just this idea. I don't know what it was. I guess it was trying to kidnap the robots, or was it just trying to churn the city? I have no idea why it was doing that. Uh, it was trying to pull up Optimus Prime, because what he says is, I, I, I will bring Optimus Prime to me, because that's his main trophy. That's why he has to reverse dark matter to come back to Earth, because he just, his bounty, he's a bounty hunter. Right. He wanted Optimus Prime. That's all he wants. So and he's so just using Prime, a magnet. Okay. And he's Who's paying going, the bounty? It's it's really like uh, like, a fisher, like a fisherman uh, with a you know, he's what? like throwing everything else back out. But then Optimus Prime just shoots at the thing and destroys it? No, well, that's not even clear. I don't even understand what happened there. I, I thought that was totally terrible. It was sort of like Michael Bay going, ah, something shoots up there. Okay, let's let's go. Moving on. Can I also say, maybe this is just me, I I am so in love with, with cute little Bing Bing Lee being like the badass. She was really <laughs> awkward at times, and her final line to Stanley Tucci, I was like, what? What's going on? What is that? Okay. But I just, I thought that was so adorable. Like the two of them and the most random damn thing that there's some kung fu expert in the elevator. Yeah. I was like, what is a kung fu delivery boy? Yeah, yeah. Clearly a delivery boy. I mean, I just feel like, you know what? At this point, Michael Bay, you're a freaking idiot, and so am I for enjoying this so much. Right. <laughs> just, it is variety. You're right about that. I mean, I was... she gets, there's a motorcycle. She gets on a freaking motorcycle yeah. and has a motorcycle. Bing Bing Lee driving with Stanley Tucci on the back. In a motorcycle chase, I, 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 I didn't expect to get a piece of treasure like that. That was awesome. Well, it, there was is her, a, it was her police training. I love that they probably <laughs> took some Before her MBA. Yes, right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly Watt, here's us loving, uh, really liking Transformers Age of Extinction. Uh, there isn't a lot of filler. You're right. It is all one long action sequence. And for a long movie, that's quite an accomplishment. And I think... Uh, and I think this, the soundtrack is just basically a constant soundtrack. And there aren't any kids in the movie that I remember. Wow, you're right. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind I of... I mean, I guess the daughter and the boyfriend are kind of like, they're selling them as teenagers, but, but you're right, there's no little kids. There's no, like, yeah. kid oh, I... girl that we have to avoid or anything, is there? Yeah, there's no reaction shots of kids even going, Ugh. Well, like that stupid scene in Godzilla with the little girl who sees yeah. the water cut. There's nothing like that, yeah. Yeah, Godzilla thinks we want to see kids. I think, like, I don't... I, I do think that the one really awful thing I don't understand what why he has to do the statutory rape. That's See, he has a thing. That's it's like the rape he, thing at Aiden Gade. It's, it's just his really signature. disgusting. Why? Why does he have to do that? It's all part of the line of jokes about the uptight dad, you yeah. know, and their their agreement on a non dating household and the official teenage danger window. And Michael Bay and I, I'm kind of okay with it. I mean, it's it's crass and stupid, but a lot of the jokes are. He just throws that in there as another joke that they have legally, you know, they've been in love since it was okay. And they've now legally covered uh, Mark Wahlberg's objection. Uh, but there's no reason not to make. Bonding. There's no reason not to remove that stupid Romeo and Juliet law joke and just make Red Bull dude 19 years old and she's 17. Why, wow. why do you even do a statutory rape thing? What are you doing? Because he's, he's the coward's got paperwork on his side. That's part of this thing. <laughs> God, it's such it's such a. It's, I mean, it's he's like Michael thinks- Bay is doing everything he can. Like, how can I throw up roadblocks to liking me? Well, the thing is, I think it's more a. I, I think it's probably more a kind of uh, a joke about Texas. Like, I wonder if that's more what he's going for, is, ha-ha, look what in Texas you can do. 
Like, do you think maybe second. it's this it's this Hollywood disdain of of flyover country? Like, do you think maybe that's part of it? He's sanctioning us to let us lust after the daughter. Like, I know the actress is seventeen, but according to this piece of paper, I don't. I, I mean, she's really cute, but I don't. I mean, she's got you know, she's got nice legs and she's in short shorts. But I don't think it's that salacious compared to some other Michael Bay stuff. No, yeah, it's not. Yeah. And I was that was the thing I was most nervous about going in was that it was going to be a little too sexual. Because uh, because yeah. I'm more nervous about that than I am about language. What? Um, I just uh, that's the way I am. I know that's that's terrible, and I've been uh, I've been tagged on that before by listeners of the podcast, and that is totally I totally agree with them. I should be more worried about violence than I'm about showing my kids sexual stuff. Uh, but that's sort of a very American uh, sort of uh, Puritan kind of thing, and I was more nervous about that going into this. Well, uh, it went nowhere. He didn't have anything to worry about. Yeah, well, I certainly, I certainly didn't. I mean, there's a couple of moments where it's like, you, you know, her shorts are so short, and you said something about her bronze <laughs> IMAX thighs, and and well, then they uh, go away. It's like he, he that's the thing, that's the thing that bugs me about Michael Bay. He's kind of stingy about that. Like, you get one good shot of the trailer, and then she's like wearing pants the rest of the movie. And, and so my my kid also had to sort of ask me during the movie, like, I, I don't understand. Uh, he had. Because the, there's the explanation of uh, there, there's the picture like he had his daughter before he graduated from high school, and so my he's like I don't understand what's going on there as far as like his daughter was born when and I was like well sometimes that happens and I you know we've already had the talk with my kid but it was just sort of like that nervous that nervous sort of thing of like how much sexuality is going to be in this movie. And I, and I realize that that's kind of a weird thing in parenting uh, that you're, that you'll let your kid go to Avengers where everybody's punching each other and, and dinosaurs and stuff are doing stuff in this movie. And then you're nervous about a girl in short shorts. And I know that's a dissonance, but I was nervous about this in this movie and there's not a lot of it here. Uh, I liked that it let them – that rather than Mark Wahlberg being the typical action hero, I, I, even though I don't think it necessarily worked very well, I liked seeing him trying to play an uptight dad yeah. uh, rather than a typical uh, super cool, nobody can cow me into submission Mark Wahlberg action hero. That was sort and of he like, doesn't bond with the kid, really. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, it's a waste of time. Yeah. And and it did it does you know it's nowhere near as effective as what Bruce Willis is selling in Armageddon. I mean Bruce Willis, Mark Wahlberg is no Bruce Willis. I'm realizing, but Mark Wahlberg he's he's super likable still. I mean I I just can't find him like grating or annoying. And even though I think he's not really like he's really having to try a little hard to be the uptight square dad, I enjoyed watching him try something different. Uh, I certainly liked what he was doing here more than I liked what Bruce Willis was doing in that last awful Die Hard movie with his son. Oh my God! Exactly, Dingus. Right. Uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, sort of like a father-child relationship. Yeah. Right. 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 Uh, well, the, the funny thing was another thing my kid said was when they're on that in that weird train scene where they're sitting there talking to each other. Uh, my kid goes, um, "They both kind of look the same age." Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And that was a weird scene. Why are we shooting inside like a train museum? I, I have no idea why that happened. <laughs> I have no idea why that scene even exists. There's but a it's moment. Funny to hear my kid go. That, that that boyfriend guy looks a little older than like Mark Wahlberg. I'm like, yeah, you're kind of right. 
There, there was a moment where I'm almost positive because you know he's got the alien gun that's not really, uh, it, it's not, it doesn't really have a human interface. And at one point he's <laughs> got to hold his hand at an awkward angle to pull the trigger. I'm almost positive there's one point that he's got his pinky sticking out. Like it's a really <laughs> awkward thing where he's trying to, and it, and Mark Wahlberg's pinky is sticking out while he's shooting some silly looking alien gun. Which I at that moment was like, oh, that's that's a drop. Mark Wahlberg sticks his pinky out when he shoots a fake gun. <laughs> uh, do you think? Do you think that uh, Michael Bay's trying to do some sort of political stuff with the em- enemy combatant? Thing? Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean right. it's it's pretty broad, simple. Stuff, yeah, all right. But uh, yeah, I Drums. think there's more uh, about. Like if you were to try to scratch the political surface and see what they're trying to get at underneath, even though they're not trying super hard, I think it's more about immigration. Like, don't you think that's sort of oh, the angle? The dinosaurs or the no, the idea that these are that they're uh, there's them and us. You know, they're coming into here. We can't trust them. This whole idea that we need to tighten up on immigration because it helps prevent terrorism is bunk. Um, but it's it's a way that in, in 9/11, it's it's a way that some conservatives have. It's a it's a lever that some conservatives have used to try to uh, get tougher on immigration. Um, and, and I think this is sort of more – I think it's more poking at that, this idea about immigration and not letting aliens be with humans. And I think it's kind of an analog to America's – the conservative American's approach to immigration maybe. I don't know. I wouldn't go too far with this because you're right, Dingus. I mean there's stuff in there, but I don't think it's that carefully considered. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think so either. But I think yeah. that I, – I wonder if Michael Bay thinks it's clever or, or not clever. <laughs> he thinks but it's all clever. Clever is the wrong word, but thinks it's um, very insightful or trenchant. Yeah. Exactly right, trenchant. Trenchant's the word exactly that I was looking for. Very good, thank you. Uh, so Kelly wants to sell me on. This is making me wonder. It is is this just Michael Bay getting back to his Armageddon roots? Uh, is why do you like The Rock, the movie? Because it's really fast paced, like this movie. There's like a car chase, and then there's a shower scene, and then there's a helicopter. And then there's a plague, and that's just like the first three hours of it. <laughs> but you feel that that if you were to sort of single out Michael Bay at his best, you would include The Rock. I like Con Air too, although that's Simon okay. West and not Michael Bay. Oh, so. wait, Jeez, wait a minute, Con Air. That's, right. that's, that's Simon West, and it's named after a hairdryer. Wait, why am I thinking that that's a Michael Bay movie then? Because he's his. Well, it smells like him. Because okay. d- didn't Simon West do? Uh, did, wasn't he a cinematographer for? Michael Bay, yeah, so it's the same school of filmmaking, and it is. It's and Nicholas Cage is in both of them, right? He's in The Rock and yeah. Conair. Yeah, and Steve okay. Buscemi is in uh, in um, Conair. He's the weird pedophile in, in Conair. I do remember that Speaking exactly. Of, and he and he plays yeah. something of a of a weird sort of pedophilic sort of character in Armageddon. As no, well. he doesn't. With the heart of gold. Uh, yes, he does. That's, no. the, that's the implication. That he's a pedophile? Yeah. They kind of mess with that a little bit. But Wait, not in Armageddon. Connor. Yeah, not in Armageddon. In Armageddon, he's a genius who likes a stripper. And that the stripper is clearly over 18 because she's professionally stripping dingus. Ah, I see. There are very definite laws about that sort of thing in whatever state they're in. Oh, I'm sick. <laughs> uh, so, dingus, so let's, let's go ahead and do this real quickly. What, what was your thinking on seeing Armageddon post-Transformers Age of Extinction? Um, and also, I, I might add, uh, post Fargo. What? <laughs> Do you think that that's relevant, Dingus, to say post Fargo? Why? Because uh, no, because uh, post Fargo, the TV series. 
Uh, so my, my contention, I'll let you respond to this. My contention that a lot of what makes Armageddon work is Billy Bob Thornton's gravitas, is him taking seriously what they're doing. Uh, well, I was wondering that as as I watched it, and you kind of you were working on some other things, but watching some of it as well. I was wondering if if you were going to change your tune a little bit on Billy Bob Thornton in Fargo, because I don't think you bought him. Well, no, there, there are times where I think that he's he's uh, kind of like a force of nature in Fargo, and it, it loses its naturalistic touch. Like like so much of Fargo are these cute naturalistic touches, and Allison Tolman looking like an actual real person, and I adore that about her. Um, and then Billy Bob Thornton comes along, and he's this almost preternatural, like Anton Sugar character who makes lawmakers quail and forget procedure. And so I'm not necessarily buying that, but... I do think he's fascinating to watch in Fargo. He's a huge part. Him and Martin Freeman are, are almost double-handedly, because there's two of them, responsible for why I like Fargo so much. So I, I love watching him in Fargo, even though I'm not totally convinced at some of what his character does. Um, but I do think that you know that's one of the reasons that I really do think that Armageddon is effective. Is yeah. Billy Bob Thornton is so effective, and he's not like winking or laughing. Like He seems to really be taking seriously the stuff that Michael Bay is wanting him to sell. You know, he's the voice of, he's selling the danger. He is selling, you know, how how beleaguered NASA is and, and the size of the task before them. And everybody else is goofing off and playing rah-rah and whatnot. But he is, and he and he's, by the way, the, you know, they even make him, uh, not a cripple, but he's, he's had polio and he's wearing leg braces. They give him these kind of very human touches. Uh, and I think, you know, I... Part of what I love about Armageddon is I love watching his character uh, in contrast to all the silliness. There's this kind of sweet and sour quality where there's crazy Michael Bay stuff going on, but then you have this Billy Bob Thornton gravitas. Um, well, you know, what I didn't expect in watching Armageddon was that it was exactly what you're kind of saying. is Because I remember him as being more of a cartoonish character because of the... Uh, the size in my head of the uh, asteroid the size of Texas line. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of what I've distilled his character to be over the years of since I've seen Armageddon. Um, and he's really more of a Gene Kranz character. And Who's that? Who's that? Uh, that's uh, – who plays him? Uh, it's, that's Ed Harris uh, in Apollo 13. He's, oh. he, he's kind of the guy who's saying we're not going to fail and I'm going to fight to make this happen and – and he buys into everything he says, even if he has a ridiculous line, or he, he has to be with uh, Liv Tyler, who I think is terrible, <laughs> and 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 uh, Ben. I mean, their their chemistry is non-existent, right. and she's like constantly like in like the observation area, and and Michael Bay can't help but like do these Dutch angles and look up at actors where they look terrible uh, and just look ridiculous, and she's ridiculous. But Billy Bob Thornton <laughs> believes what he's doing to such an extent, and it reminded me of what uh, Ed Harris was doing in Apollo 13, uh-huh. and I didn't expect that. I, I was expecting him to be a cartoon character. I was uh-huh. expecting the whole thing to be a cartoon, and it's so not. It was really disturbing. I'm really actually upset uh, having watched Armageddon uh, again the other night and and liking it more than I wanted to like it. I mean, it, 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 I think part of that is is having seen uh, Transformers: Age of Extinction and being like, wait a wait a wait a minute, what, what's going on here? Why why do I like this? This is not okay. 
one of the things that I think makes Armageddon work, and you see a little bit of in Transformers Age of Extinction, is this generosity with the story and what characters get to do cool stuff. You know, in Age of Extinction, you've got Bing Bing Lee in the motorcycle chase. You've got uh, Titus Welliver uh, getting knocked out of a window with a football, for instance. Uh, you've got the, oh, the, the douchebag kid doing his rally driving stuff. Um, Armageddon is all about the ensemble and giving everybody moments. Like, Armageddon is so vast and big and generous, whether it's it's Peter Stormari getting some great lines or whether it's this really weird scene with Will Patton, just a tight close-up on his face, you know, seeing his, his son having grown up before he's going to get shot out into space and what he thinks might be a suicide mission. You know, Michael... Michael Bay just holds on Will Patton's face, and Will Patton is actually sitting there and acting and doing this really crazy stuff with his eyes. I mean, I, Will Patton, when you let him do stuff, is, is an amazing guy to watch. Or uh, Owen Wilson getting funny lines about Star Wars, or certainly Michael Clark Duncan's voice, you know, stripping down and singing. Um, Armageddon or, is or so... William Fickner at the end. Yes. You know, just you know, having that moment where he's... The he's... redeemed bad guy, yeah. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and even Watts, you know, that super hot chick, Jessica Steen, who never did anything else. You know, Michael Bay knows how hot she is, and he doesn't make her strip down or anything. She is hot because she's, like, super competent and has beautiful blue eyes, um, and you get plenty of shots of her. Where did uh, she go? She was really TV. good. TV. She's done a bunch of TV since then. Oh, but, yeah, she's, she's great. So, good. so I think Armageddon has this, this breadth to it that even Ben Affleck and Liv Tyler's terrible chemistry can't dilute. Because that's just a tiny percentage of what's going on. It's so, you know, it's a drop of oil in a glass of water, and there's still great stuff in there. And there's some of that generosity, I think, in Transformers: Age of Extinction. Whereas Transformers Three was so preoccupied with Shia LaBeouf's and John Turturro's shenanigans. Yeah. Um, see, I see what you're up to, Tom. What is that, Kelly Wand? The more you talk about Armageddon. It reminds me how much I hate that stupid movie, and then it makes Transformers look better, like by comparison, because it's so fucking top heavy with all those different characters. It's like all those fucking ensemble movies Michael Bay makes, but Transformers: Age of Extinction is just like fucking Wahlberg and his little daughter, and the dude. Tran- There's no female Transformers, although they all have plugs. One, two, three, not only you and me, got one eighty degrees, and I'm caught in between, counting one, two, three, feet of one, that I'm free, getting down. Let's hear out the other side, thank you, Kelly. <laughs> so yeah, I so didn't expect this. So the funny thing is, I kind of thought as I was watching it, you know, I bet Dingus is going to enjoy this too. Kelly Wan's going to be more the naysayer. So I totally punked Dingus and made him think that I left early. Uh, didn't go see it. Wow. I, I could tell you were kind of dismayed, Dingus, because you were going to want to talk about how you actually kind of liked it. Yeah, I was really, I was really Stone sad. I, I was, I was trying to temper. I was like, am I going to be mad at him? Am I going to let that out? <laughs> am I just going to go with, because he wants to talk about another movie that he saw instead? Ugh. Thing is, I would not bitch out on you. You did, a, you did a nice job. You didn't see it together. This would have been no, fun. I, I saw it with my kid, who was like, kind of like, eh. His review is eh. You don't like it? It was two hours and 45 minutes long, and he's nine years old. I usually agree with Kieran, though. Like, I was bummed when... Eh, something's... I don't... There's... We're gonna need... There's another two hours to slog through. So I guess they just try to well, show uh, those lines, too. Let's uh, let's do a three by three now. Yeah. Uh, Transformers. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right. Well, this three by three, Kelly Wand, is about rescues. Are you uh about rescues? It's brought to you by uh, Bud Light, by the way. 
<laughs> God, Kelly Watt thought that was champagne. <laughs> There's a clear as day Bud Light, Light product placement, and Kelly Watt thinks it's about champagne. They make champagne. Okay. Car, I'm going to open my beer bottle on your car, drink it, and throw it down. <laughs> Look, uh, it's all in a flask when I get to it. So, what was the question? Uh, well, the question, Dingus, you are doing next week's 3x3. Three three, so, the question here is, what is your number three favorite? Uh, and, and just to let folks know, that we saw a movie last week, which we all three heartily recommend, called The Rover. And there's a moment in The Rover that made me think of rescues in movies. Um, we want to talk about our favorite rescues in movies. So, that's what this week's 3x3 three three is. Dingus, you'll be introducing next week's so that mean topic. So that means you get to start by telling us your number three favorite rescue in a movie. All right, here's a here's a bit of dialogue from my uh, third favorite rescue in a movie. Uh, Kurt Wagner, but in the Munich Circus, I was known as the incredible. Yes, David. That's really boy. What could that be from? <laughs> All right, so this is X two, also known as X Men two, also known as X two X Men United. No, um, go with one of the titles. Really? All right, I'm going to go X-Men with two X Men United. Is the full name of it? It's got X Men twice in the title. Yeah, it's so nice they had to exit twice. So X uh, X Men two X Men United. Wow, <laughs> they're always united though. That's why. I, no, Kelly Wand, tell me, are Magneto and Professor X? Even I know they're they're both. Wait, is Magneto an X Men? Sometimes he led them. Sometimes it's he's a mutant. He's not an X Men. Oh. Ooh, man, I just lost my comic book cred, didn't I? I thought he was an X-Men. He's not an X-Men. I guess that's true. Well, he was kind of an X-Men in X-Men First Class. I mean, let's be honest. Aren't X-Men because they study under Professor Xavier? They're not even all men. The whole name. Oh, good point, Kelly Wand. Mm. But are they called X-Men after Xavier? Or did I just... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. That's, why, that's why that happens. That seems a little vain. Well, little that's bit. because Rose Byrne named them that. That's not his fault. Uh. Oh. We uh, like to call ourselves on this podcast K-Men. Yeah. But Wolverine was Weapon X, but that's an unrelated naming. Right? No, he was not. Okay, that's what I meant. <laughs> you probably think the song is about you, don't you? <laughs> What's the question? Rescues? Anyway, the rescue in question is when uh, when, oh, uh, when uh, Rogue gets uh, sucked out of the plane... Uh, because uh, uh, yeah, a missile has uh, gone off and torn a hole in the jet that they're flying, and she hasn't been able to buckle her seatbelt properly, and she gets thrown out into the air, and she's plummeting toward the earth, and Nightcrawler uh, bamps out, grabs her, and bamps back to the plane. I love that rescue so freaking <laughs> much. Uh, so there you go. That it's very simple. My others are much more emotional for me, but this one is just one that makes me every time I see and I and I've watched this movie a ton of times because my kid is super into the X Men and so we watch it a lot. Um, but the, the Nightcrawler bamfing out of the plane, grabbing her, bamfing back in is so awesome. Is Nightcrawler Alan Cumming? Yeah, yeah. He didn't like the costume. He said it was a fucking pain in the ass. That's why. Well, he it must have been a yeah. horrible thing to do, and he's, I'm sure he's got better things to do with his time. Yeah, that was like, like productions said, of cabaret. Right, but they exactly. didn't recast him. They just went, all right. Well, forget. good because he was great, and he's he's in the That's two true. best scenes in that movie, the the opening White House scene, and then that scene where he he 
rescues her is I I love it so much. I would like to see a Nightcrawler Quicksilver scene. <laughs> or, or a lace. Kelly Wan, what's your number three favorite rescue in a movie? My number three is when uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger saves the stupid kid in Terminator 2 using a motorcycle. And then, like, the truck crashes over the bike, and then he blows it up with a shotgun. The bike, I think. You sound a little uh, unclear on the actual events. Well, it was so exciting. It was all such a blur. One of the things I hate in the Terminator movies is how uh, Come With Me If You Want to Live becomes like a, a gag. Yeah. Uh, well, it does imply, like, oh, I wrote such a good line, I'm going to use it every movie. Right. Which it is a good line, and it's a good moment, and it's actually my number three pick for a favorite rescue. Because I I vividly remember seeing the Terminator for the first time. Wait, wait, wait. You're doing the same one? No, no, good lord, no. I'm talking about Terminator 1, which I think is 1984. Yeah. Yeah. So I would have been a high school kid at that point, and I vividly remember seeing the Terminator knowing nothing about it, just having read that it was some Arnold Schwarzenegger action movie, and going to see it. And the way that Cameron sets it up, where you don't know who is what to whom, or why Schwarzenegger is just randomly gunning people down, and then we get to this other Sarah Connor, and she there's there's a creepy guy chasing her, and we don't know who Kyle Reese is, and we don't know really like what the stakes are, or that one of the guys is an invulnerable robot, and there's that scene in the nightclub, which I forgot about this. Do you guys remember what the nightclub is called in the original Terminator? Because they call uh, it's called called Tech Noir. (laughs) There's there's this ridiculous scene where it looks ridiculous now, where Schwarzenegger in slow motion with the words Tech Noir flashing on and off behind him. It's when he's he's got these Uzis out and he's just killed. He slaughtered all these people, and Sarah Connor has a dead body on top of her, and she can't get out. And he's coming to kill her, but first he has to reload the gun. So in slow motion, he's advancing on her. And at this point, you don't know that he's a robot. Uh, and, and the tech noir is flashing behind him, and he's reloading uh, very methodically the Uzi. And he's going to shoot her. And then Kyle Reese comes out with the shotgun and just bam, 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 over and over, unloads this pump-action shotgun into Schwarzenegger, yeah. knocks him out of the building, and then holds his hand out to Sarah Connor and says, come with me if you want to live. You know, that's a fantastic moment. You realize at that point, good guys, bad guys. Oh, this Kyle Reese fella, because I don't think we've seen Michael Bean before then either. This is the good guy. This is who we're rooting for. And then he takes her out into, into the alley and they get in a car. Um, but just the, the emergence of Kyle Reese as the good guy is for me, as a fan of action movies, as, as a kid who was into action movies, just such an iconic moment. And the fact that it became a recurring gag, you know, come with me if you want to live, when Schwarzenegger says it, is just kind of emblematic of everything that went wrong with the Terminator. Right, movies. right. There were awesome things in them, but they were just so, at times, self-referential and self-congratulatory, and Schwarzenegger has to be the good guy after a certain point. Um, but, God, I love that moment where you find out that Kyle Reese is the good guy, and he rescues Sarah Connor. Um, yeah, but I mine had a truck in it. Go ahead, Kelly. Mine had a truck in it. <laughs> yes, it did. Uh, can I can I kind of mention a runner up at this point because I think it's kind of important. I, I hope someone brings this. Up. Can I can I invoke because it's my three by three? Can I invoke this one special time where I you wouldn't let me do it? But go ahead. Okay, just well, remember this. I, I just feel like Cameron ends up. Um, 
he's got such a great rescue later in his career where a woman rescues men, which I love that rescue as well. And I, I hope we'll talk. Huh? Uh, you know what? I'll mention it. I just feel later in his career, Cameron uh, has a, a similar moment. But if it's a mysterious stranger, a dude rescuing a woman, it's a woman rescuing a bunch of really hardy, tough men. And it, it again, is another iconic moment for me, uh, that particular rescue. Um, and it's where, you know, Cameron just started playing with, like, stronger women. I mean, Sarah Connor was a very strong female character, uh, but certainly in his later movies, that just became... Uh, well, that was my number two. Right, so. yeah. We can Sorry, talk about, okay. We can talk about Avatar in a little bit. Oh! <laughs> 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 All right, sorry, Kelly Wan. Uh, let's, we'll get to you in a second. Let's hear Dingus's number two favorite rescue. All right, uh, my number two. By the way, I, what I was going to say is I love the way you, uh, you characterize those shotgun blasts, because I... It just brought that, that back into focus of him yeah. in that club, shooting that shotgun and moving through the shot, the, the, the club. Do you remember what the, we just watched it the other night. Do you remember what the name of the club was that they go to and they get in trouble in in Armageddon? Love Shack? Oh, dude, you told me. No, it's just called Love. Love, Love. <laughs> I like mine better. <laughs> love Shack is probably better. They're going to call it Tin Roof. That should be a three by three. Favorite strip club names in movies. Ah, that's a good one. All right, so for... Oh. Did you say Titty Twister? That's from the movie Twister. Oh, there's a a storm movie that I... I know. A manly handsob ensues. I can't wait for the storm movie, because I've mentioned this. It's found footage, and I have no idea why it's longer than five minutes long. A tornado and found footage... That should be over in five minutes. I can't this, wait to see the other 85 minutes. Well, it's going to do it in slow motion. This is the biggest storm on record, I think. Which one? Is that? Have you been watching the trailer, Dingus? Close your eyes during the trailer. It's going to no, be No, I, 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 you know, I walked in during it because the, the theater we go in in town here shows half an hour of trailers. So if you if you get there when the movie starts, you're going to be sitting there for an extra half an hour. It's right. a two-hour and 45-minute movie. Uh, so that was already playing, and I heard something like, it's the biggest storm on record. We will be seeing Into the Storm for this podcast. Right on here record. now, I am calling it. Okay. Done and done. All right. All right, All right. Number two favorite. My number two. Here's a, here's a quote from it. Silly boy, I told you to take a right, then a left. Come, I'll show you. Don't forget to wash your hands when you're done. Ew, you made that sound creepy. What kind of terrible rescue is that? <laughs> All right. So this is uh, from the movie uh, Running Scared. And the rescue is... Oh, dingus. That's nice. Uh, Oleg, who is played by Cameron Bright, has been taken by Dez and Adele. Uh, Dez is Bruce Allman and Adele is Elizabeth Mitchell. Yeah, wow. she's super hot. <laughs> I, I, I think I only know her from VR. I don't know what else. You I didn't know. watch Lost. No, I did not watch Lost. Who is she on um, there? Who is Elizabeth Mitchell? She was... Uh, or, I don't remember. Julia. Yeah, yeah, Juliet. Yep. She's the one who got to hook up. All the relationships in Lost are so implausible, and she's the one whose character got thrown in with uh, Josh Holloway. Yeah. Which, well, boy, that was a convincing relationship. Yeah. I know. <laughs> so but there's... Pete and Shannon. Look. <laughs> there's this weird Hansel and Gretel thing that happens, and I love the fairy tale version, the fairy tale aspects of uh, Running Scared. Um, I, I cannot... I cannot... Uh, evangelize about this movie enough. Um, but th- there's a moment where, where Oleg uh, falls into the wrong uh, couple's hands. It's like they, they, they found a stray. They take him back to their apartment and he, he calls, um, 
he calls Vera Farmiga, who is who is Teresa Gazelle, the wife of Joey Gazelle, uh, played by the late um, Paul Walker, sadly. Uh, and the way she comes in and rescues him uh, when she 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 gets this call from him, and he's like, I, "I'm in the bathroom. I, there's all this weird stuff going on. I, I I don't know what to do." And she and she tells him to go look in the medicine cabinet. A lot of times prescription bottles will have the address of the house on them. There's even, I think, some sort of Hansel Gretel like printing on the bottle. Um, And uh, he tells her where they are and and she comes into the apartment. She looks through it. Uh, There's that, uh, well, there's no kids here. Uh, Oleg is not here. I was wrong. And then she, because she is a mother, she understands uh, something's not right here. Uh, and this couple just kidnaps kids, and it's 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 just I can't do it surface by describing it. But her pulling him out, finding him, rescuing him is just one of those moments in movies where I'm just on the edge of my seat and just begging for this to happen, and at the same time going, I'm in a fairy tale world. It's just so weird. I love this rescue, and it's a weird uh, it's weird too in that it doesn't have any material relevance to the plot. Right. It's just this odd tangent, uh, and it reminds me, I hope this isn't a spoiler, or this isn't uh, going to scoop anyone's pick, but it reminds me of how in Pulp Fiction, uh, Ving Rhames and Bruce oh. Willis just descend yeah. into this, this random pit of hell just by you know walking through the wrong door during a chase scene. And right. It has nothing to do with the rest of the movie. Uh, and you know, I guess that's a rescue as well. But they just that, stumble into the wrong spider's web. I mean, right. that's just it. And that's such a that's part and parcel too of the fairy tale element of running scared. Uh, whereas in Pulp Fiction, I think it's just hey, Quentin Tarantino is weird. <laughs> yeah. Or stoned. Kelly-Wan, have you seen the non-Gregory Hines running scared yet? Uh, is that the one where he switches bodies with the ballerina? All right, that's a no. I'm going to put you down for no. I'm Billy Crystal's the other one. So your number two is, is uh, can I guess what your number two pick yeah. is for favorite rescue? Is it, you the movie, is it the movie Aliens? Yeah, here's why it's an exciting moment. Uh-huh. Besides the obvious, Ripley is suddenly has to take charge of an APC and drive in and rescue a bunch of Marines. <laughs> right. And there's a fucking... Like, so many things get set up simultaneously in that scene. Like, it, they have, like, a third of their complement, like, in five minutes after you've been kind of sitting watching the movie for a while. But it's also a really cool sequence because it's like she runs over an alien in it. Like, there's one on the hood staring at her, and you're, it's like, if you think about it, it's like the first one she's seen since the one that took her a whole movie to kill. Mm-hmm. And this time she just hits the brakes and then over. It's like, oh, okay. So if you just get the drop on them, they they can't. They don't take like <laughs> as much hassle to kill as they did in the first movie. So she's come a long way. Like she's got her hand cut off. So that was like to me a very exciting moment. It's like Ripley's now reached the point where she's not freaked out when she sees one. You say that they're coming on, but part of what I love about that rescue is she is freaked out. Mm-hmm. Like, she is completely on adrenaline. It's no cool action hero stuff. But she doesn't freeze up, I mean. She doesn't freeze up, but she is freaked out, and it's finally, is it is it Hicks who finally says to her, hey, ease up, you're just grinding metal. I mean, she right. drives that thing until it's broken, and right. it's so completely, uh, it's just this fight or flight. It's like a survival instinct. Like, she's yeah. on this weird... Uh, you know, she's not thinking almost. It's just something she's got to do uh, when she 
knocks Gorman out of the seat and drives the APC. Like, I think she's like driving it through walls and stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I love that scene, uh, and and even just it, like you mentioned, like it's so many things come to a head at that point. Yeah, it's been a slow burn up until right. that point, but you you simultaneously learn things like okay, they have to get rid of their ammo because there's a nuclear reactor there. Right. Uh, okay, Gorman is terrible. Uh, you know, Frost is now holding all of the ammo, and then when the bag gets set on fire, it's going right. to blow up. Um, and then Drake gets sprayed with acid and loses his smart gun. Yeah, yeah, like all this stuff going on. A weird pacing too. Oh, and you lose really April. Was, yeah, you lose yeah, April. The Hardy, like the 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 sergeant chomping the cigar, who should be alive till yeah, the end. Like, like, right. Yeah, right. yeah. Um, so there's that. And I do, and I, I yeah. So Cameron is good at rescues, and we'll we'll have Dingus uh, have his pick from Avatar shortly. I can't wait to hear that. <laughs> but also because she's a minor in the first movie, so it's like in in Aliens. She no, like, I think she's over eighteen. <laughs> and besides, are they miners or truckers? I think they're literally just driving a tugboat, aren't they? They have ore. Right, but I think they're... They're the, the Earth's best deep core truckers. <laughs> I, mean, I think the Nostromo is basically a tugboat for this big... So they picked it up from another dude? Right. Didn't they? Like, I don't think they're actually miners. I think they're just the staff... That dude's probably waiting, going, wait, what? I never got paid. No one came to pick me up. What happened? Prometheus... Uh, Kelly Wan, are you ready for my number two favorite rescue? So ready. Uh, rescues are, um, at best, I think, when they are unexpected. Uh, if you're just expecting it, I don't know that that's true, but that's what this particular rescue, extremely unexpected. You don't see it coming, and it comes at such an important moment. Um, Jonathan Price in Brazil, everything has gone wrong for him at this point, uh, and he is about to be tortured by uh, uh, Michael Palin. And suddenly, a character he has met before, played by Robert De Niro, who is the character's name is Harry Tuttle, comes rappelling down into, I think they shot it inside the cooling tower of an old nuclear power plant. It's just this big, huge compartment. It's this cavernous concrete structure. Robert De Niro comes rappelling down in there. He rescues him from this torture seat. You know, he shoots Michael Palin in the head, rescues him from this torture seat, and there's this ridiculous, like, shootout as Robert De Niro and his armed buddies spirit uh, Jonathan Price out of this Ministry of Information retrieval. And the shootout is, is it, like I said, it's ridiculous. But so much of Brazil at this point, Brazil is such an outrageous movie that nothing really is implausible. Uh, and I actually had forgotten about this. There's a moment in the shootout as they're escaping the Ministry of Information Retrieval. So Robert De Niro is rescuing Jonathan Price, where uh, they go past a lobby where a woman is pushing this big, huge like floor waxer thing. It almost looks like a, a Zamboni that you don't ride, you push it. And she gets shot through the eye. And the Zamboni thing rolls down some stairs. And I am almost 100% positive that it is Terry Gilliam poking fun at the famous baby carriage scene for <laughs> Battleship Potemkin with a floor cleaner. I, I could not believe it because he clearly shows you this thing rolling down the shit steps during this pitched battle. I could not believe that. But that's Jonathan Price's character imagining it. Even. Well, thank you, Kelly Wan. So what I love about this rescue scene is it is such a – it is so incredibly cruel of Terry Gilliam to do that to us. Um, because back then, I don't know that we were quite so conditioned for these kinds of endings where – 
at what point does the character's imagination take over? And Brazil, up to this point, has been, as I said, so outrageous that there are really no clues when you first watch Brazil that uh, Sam Lowry is hallucinating. Well, wow. you're watching it and you think he's he's you know and you and and oh, Jonathan Price is so likable in Brazil and he's such the the perspective of the audience. I mean, so many crazy things are happening around him, and he's just baffled, and he doesn't understand it. He doesn't think it should be that way, and he's in love with Kim Grice's character, and there's all this bureaucracy around him, and he gets caught up in it, and he's trying to do the right thing. Um, and I think you care for him so much at this point, so that when he's about to be tortured, and he goes through this horrible court process where they literally string them up in burlap sacks and then move them on a conveyor belt – uh, through to talk to like lawyers and judges. Uh, it's this incredible nightmare, and he ends up in the torture chair, and you so want him to be rescued at that point. So he gets rescued, and he gets spirited out of the building, and you don't really have a clue that there's anything weird going on until things start getting even more outrageous than the rest of the movie. Um, and this rescue unravels as, as you mentioned, Kelly Wand, it's his hallucination as he is being tortured. Uh, and it's so incredibly cruel of Terry Gilliam, I think, to do that to us yeah. um, at that point. Well, yeah, but there's there are clues because like newspaper, De Niro turns into newspaper. Well, no, that's yeah. So the the paperwork, and by the way, this was weird too. As they are leaving, uh, De Niro hands Jonathan Price, and there's no dialogue, by the way, which I think is a hugely important part at this point of the movie, is that he's not talking to anyone, he's just imagining things. Um, De Niro hands him this plunger, and he blows up the Ministry of Information retrieval. And from then on, the streets are full, it's like snow, with office paperwork. And these days you see that, and you think, oh, that's like a 9-11 thing. Uh, but back then, it was this triumph of you know defeating the Ministry of Information Retrieval. And so as all this paperwork is falling out of the sky, some of it catches on Robert De Niro, and then he can't get it off of him, and, then it gets, and he, gets, he gets swallowed up by this paperwork, and he disappears. And it gets even more nightmarish as he goes to his mother's funeral. Yeah. All these crazy things start happening. Yeah, it just gets – at that point, you're clear, wait a minute, something weird is going on. Uh, and it's only till at the end you realize the moment that it took off. Uh, and I think there is dialogue at the funeral, though, isn't there? Doesn't the mom? She say? does. Yeah. She, so the thing is, it's Kim Grice, but it's in Jessica Hellman's voice, and she's just telling right. him to leave her alone and not be ridiculous. And uh, yeah, um, that's depressing too. Very depressing. And the, do you remember the, Scheinberg? Do you remember when he knocks? Oh, oh no. <laughs> I can't believe that. So, well, you know he's. To the point that he wanted that out of the movie, you know, that yeah. Sid Scheinberg at Universal. And this, this, this is just baffling to me that Universal didn't want to release it in its current form and wanted to put a happy ending on it. And man, like that's imagine, what was needed. Yeah, well, to imagine that we almost, you know, that Brazil. I guess, I guess there was never a point that it wasn't going to be released, but that it was going to be so butchered and released in that form. Um, it's weird, though. Because yeah. yeah. you think anything that gets that emotional reaction. Like even the Scheinberger go, well, it worked on me, so obviously the audience will... Well, if you remember what Terry Gilliam did is he privately screened it to people and uh, even, I think, to a, a, a critic's film circle. Uh, like He was like, you guys come watch this, please, and then write right. it. Uh, and it was their reaction that finally convinced, I think, Universal to release... He's crafty. Uh, he... I, you got to be crafty. Coastal it too. Considering everything Terry Gilliam has been through, you bet he's crafty, yeah. Oh. Yeah, but then maybe it broke him the way uh, Michael Bay broke Shia LaBeouf. 
<laughs> For all time. Uh, let's see, where are we? I don't know. Dingus, what is your number one favorite rescue in a movie? All right. Um, uh, first of all, I, I don't see movies that have anything to do with the World Cup, so I've never seen them. <laughs> um, that seems pertinent. Let's see. Uh, that, that is a joke. You have seen Brazil, right? Oh, of course. I've, okay. I've seen all of I was all, worried. There. Oh, I see. All of the versions. Um, so anyway, here's a quote from my number one rescue. Come on, Sam. We got to go. Mm-hmm. Brazil. Sam Lowry. Mm, nope. Oh. Sam Witwicky and uh, Trent. <laughs> <laughs> I've got his name is Sam Witwicky. Sam, Sam Witwicky. Witwicky. That's almost as bad as, as Cade Yeager. But Cade Yeager. <laughs> Sam Witwicky. Cade Come on, Sam. We got to go. Obviously, can I make it? Do you want to? Do you want to guess, Dingus? Based on the name, I'm guessing this is a uh, I Am Legend reference. It is absolutely. Uh, Sam uh, is played by Abby, um, and the rest. <laughs> Dingus, that's not true. It is true. I've told you this before. The dog's uh, name is Abby. Yeah, the the, 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 the dog. Name from Paranormal Activity Two, the awesome it's German. The same dog. No, no, no. It's a different. They're different characters. The character name is Sam. The actor's name is Abby. And what's the actor's name of the German Shepherd in Paranormal Activity 2? Kevin Bacon. I don't remember. It's Abby. No, it's not. Well, yeah, that's what I thought your joke was. Yeah, that's what I thought your joke was, too, Dingus. I'm not making a joke. The actual name of the actor is is the acting dog. The dog's name is Abby. She's playing a character named Sam. But she plays Abby in Paranormal Activity 2. Exactly. Let's okay. keep going in there. So the rescuing question, and I love this so much, and I watched, I, I God, and this freaks me out so much. Being a dog owner, this really freaks me out. So, so uh, Sam is the dog in uh, I Am Legend, and there's this moment where they're hunting this uh, deer down through the streets of uh, Brooklyn or New York, wherever they are, and um, the deer that they're hunting runs into a building. And the one thing they cannot do is go into a dark place because uh, the infected zombie, whatever they are, uh, can't be in sunlight. Um, they rule any area that is dark. And if you go into an area that's dark, then you are in danger. Um, and Will Smith, who uh, is playing uh, Robert Neville, as we all know, um, has assiduously avoided that. He avoids dark places at all costs because he understands, and that's why he has survived. He's one of the few people to survive. One of the only people to survive in here. And he has his companion, Sam, who is his best friend. Um, and Sam chases down this deer into this dark building. And he he's, he freaks out. He's, no, Sam, don't go in there. And he is so terrified. And Will Smith does this really well. He's terrified to go into this dark building after her, but he goes after her because she's all he has, and she's his companion. She's his best friend. And he goes and he finds her. There's this great... I mean, that sequence, even now, even as I think about it now, it sort of makes me break out of a sweat. Watching it, it just make, it just freaks me out because it's just so scary. Uh, he, he goes in. He's got his gun. He's got a, um, a flashlight on it that he's constantly putting his hand over and just letting a little bit of light out as he goes down the, the corridor. Uh, he finds this, this awful moment where he sees this, this creature's snout 
and he sees all this blood, and it could very well be a German shepherd, but it turns out to be the deer. And there's this weird room where all of the quote-unquote zombies are in, in this circle, like around the deer, like feasting on it. Um, and he finds he eventually finds Sam um, cowering under a desk, and he and he's he's. All during this, he's saying, Sam, we got to go, we got to go. And he's kind of talking to himself. He's kind of saying to himself, uh, I can't do this. Uh, I'm going to have to let her go. I'm going to, I'm, I have to leave myself because I'm going to get killed. Uh, I have to leave my best friend behind. I, I, I Sam, we got to go. There's no way the dog can hear that. But he powers through it to find her. And having a dog and being a dog owner myself and knowing, like, you know, Sometimes when I want to take my dog for a do- for a walk, she hides under the desk, and it's hard to even get her out of there. Um, so, him rescuing this dog from this terrifying situation in this room where the dog is cowering under a desk, where the dog should not want to move because of the dog's instincts and his fear, um, and of course, then what later happens between the two of them. Uh, I just ah oh man, when he when he when he gets Sam out of there. Ah, that's great. If you were a real fan of I Am Legend, directed by Francis Lawrence, you would have seen Dingus, uh, Water for Elephants, and the Hunger Games movies. I meant to. All right. Uh, do you know who plays the lead zombie in I Am Legend? Abby. Speaking of names like um, uh, Cade Yeager. Do you remember it's Dash Mihawk. Yep, Dash Mihawk. I love that guy's name. He's also in Romeo plus Juliet. That's where I, I think I first saw him. That's he plays. Yeah. I forget who he plays, but he's like, I, I will bite. He, bite, he bit my thumb at me. That, that, oh, right. That. He's one of those guys. Yeah. 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 yeah station. Kelly one. What is your number one favorite rescue in a movie? My number one is in mission impossible three. When he saves that his friend, but then she's her brain still blows up. So then he's sad. So it's like the rescue is a bummer. Not a very good rescue, I guess. Yeah. So, yeah. so successful. Played by uh, Felicity. Mm. And then he has to go home to his wife and go, yeah. <laughs> Tough I, day at work. <laughs> yeah, I got the wrong kind of towels. That's why I'm a little bummed tonight. Uh, doesn't she have all of her friends there or something? Like there's a barbecue at work? Yeah, just like an Amway party. Yeah. <laughs> I really like her in that, by the way. Michelle Monaghan or Carrie Russell? Carrie Russell, I really yeah. liked her. I had no idea who she was when I saw that, by the way, because I, unlike Dingus, I don't watch a lot of TV, so I hadn't seen Felicity. And I only watched it. I won't watch movies. I will only watch TV. Because <laughs> you can see why that pissed him off enough for the rest of the movie. I'm like, God. My number one favorite rescue, and I, this is just so ridiculous of me, but I can't help it. Good Lord, I like the end of 300 Rise of an Empire. Ah, <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. God, I can't Which get enough rescue? of that. It, uh, Lena Headey riding to the rescue. So the whole uh, yeah. the whole thing with Three Hundred Rise of an Empire is <laughs> it kind of it 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 precedes and fulfills the first movie. And I think it's so much better than the first movie. But it, it sets up the first movie, and the events of the first movie happen off stage. But then the follow-through of the first movie, that, oh, the Spartans were all killed at the hot gate. That's terrible. And then there's like an epilogue in the first movie. But by the way, Athens eventually united and drove the Persians back. 300 gives us all of that. Yeah. Like we see what leads up to it. We hear the terrible news, and we see the culmination of the previous movie, namely 
Lena Headey finally getting over her grief and sending the Spartans into battle, and it happens at sea. I love the image, and and so much of it is musical, by the way, just the music during this scene and the way that No Murrow shoots all the naval stuff. Um, but the 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 sort of framing material. Uh, the framing structure of 300 Rise of an Empire is Lena Headey explaining to the Spartans why we are going back into battle, uh, why we are helping unite, you know, because the rest of Greece also, the Athenians and the Olympians and there's a whole list of them, uh, they're also joining this naval battle. Um, and the structure of 300 Rise of an Empire would be normally the same as 300, where a small group of men just hold out until they get overrun, but at the last minute, you know, all of Greece unites and uh, drives the Persians back. But it struck me, rewatching it, because I now own this, I love this movie, uh, rewatching it, 300 is so, and not in a bad way, uh, from, uh, well, 300 is so testosterone driven. It's so much about, like, the male form. Like, there's some super hot, sheerly dressed like an oracle chick early in the movie and i think there's a sex scene with lena hetty but for the most part it's about a bunch of hot dudes not wearing much clothes wax chests wax chests and abs and stuff uh. but 300 has such with artemisia played by eva green uh and certainly with lena hetty like there's, there's a really significant female presence in the movie which i really appreciate uh and it offsets all of the uh the just the dudeness of these athenian warriors but it occurs to me 300 rise of an empire the events of this uh damn it, what's his name Themistocles. yeah so uh-huh. the main dude he's kind of suspended between the revenge of two women. Two women are motivated by revenge and it drives the action that leads up to 300 and resolves it. And this poor uh, fella, uh, Themistocles, is just stuck between them. He's kind of helpless to just lead his men in this ultimately doomed effort. Wish I had his problems. Until he gets rescued. But it's about Artemisia convincing Xerxes that he's a god and he should attack the Greeks. You know, she's the one who does that. She perpetrates the war. And it's about Lena Headey finally deciding to unite the Spartans with the rest of Greece and then drive the Persians back and save this little naval force. Um, but I was struck by that. It's, it's, it's a struggle between two women, for Pete's sake. Here we had this super hot dude movie, 300, and it turns out, nope, it's just two women deciding to get revenge. Um, well, and the guy that they're fighting over is definitely straight. Uh, uh, well, sure. He has sex with Eva Green. Yep. Is that what you're trying to say? He is. Uh, he definitely did, yeah. Um, As intel. That doesn't mean he's straight. That's true. <laughs> But I also it's, it's I, such a it's such a clever framing device I think because that that whole idea of of doing a sequel that's taking place the same time as the other one uh, more or less and doing exactly what you are saying uh, taking over the idea from a female perspective and having him cast in the middle I think I love that aspect of Rise of an Empire and that sequence I don't know what it means but when Lena Headey's troops. You know, when she's sailing in, and uh, and by the way, I saw all of this before I had any Game of Thrones context, really. Like, I'd seen the first season, <laughs> but I caught up on Game of Thrones only afterwards. So Lena Headey, to me, is still Queen Gorgo. You guys might think of her as Cersei, whatever. Uh, to me, she's Queen Gorgo. What about Sarah Connor? When she comes in, I've never... She's Sarah Connor? 
Yeah, and that TV can't show. do that. Yeah, I've never seen that either. Um, when she comes in on the ships and they drop these like black sails with red chevrons on them, I have no idea what it means, but holy cats, that's cool. I mean, that is the most awesome thing to sail into a battle and drop black sails. Uh, that's like serious revenge stuff. Not since uh, the Rise of the Cobra have we seen that. Is that a Sylvester Stallone thing? Banners are very vindictive, is what you're saying. The Rise of the Cobra is G.I. Joe Dingus. Sorry. <laughs> the Rise of the Cobra? I was thinking of Cobra, the Sylvester Stallone thing where crime's the disease and he's the cure. Uh, that's a good point. His last name's Cobretti, and, and Cobras kill diseases. Haha, <laughs> you saw it. Caduceus. That's why it's shaped like that. Arthur Giovangelelli writes... How to Train Your Dragon is number three pick. Toothless claws his way out of the valley, which he is trapped in, to save Hiccup from a monstrous nightmare that Stoic the Vast has enraged. Man, Arthur's remembering a lot of backstory that I don't recall here. Uh, Hiccup's attempt to demonstrate his ability to tame dragons is spoiled by his father, and watching Toothless battle the angry dragon is simply thrilling. I do love that dragon. Dingus, give us a quick report. Should we see How to Train Your Dragon 2? Have they trained uh, it yet after two movies? Uh, you know how in uh, Iron Man 2, the <laughs> idea is uh, uh, if you liked Iron Man and you like that suit, we're going to give you a lot more suits. Um, how to Train Your Dragon 2 is if you like dragons, we're going to give you a ton more dragons. I, I, um, because I get the feeling you think that this is waving me off, but it's not. All right. Well, that's fine. Uh, my kid loved it. Uh, I was a little bit meh. Too many dragons. Yeah, well, no, it's just like we're just going to dump more and more and more and more, more dragons. But Toughnut, the dragon, do you know who plays Toughnut? There's a dragon named Toughnut? Yeah. Oh, Abby. Uh, who plays Toughnut? Uh, T.J. Miller. What? <laughs> right. Arthur Giovanni Gilelli's... Stranger than Fiction. Number two pick... Uh, Return of the King. During the Battle of the Pelennor Fields, uh. Eowyn and Mary rescue Theoden from what he describes as a fate worse than death. While the two of them cannot prevent Theoden's death, they do spare him from being devoured by the Witch King of Angmar's Mount, kill the Witch King, and help defeat the forces of Sauron. The entire Battle of Pelennor Fields is really the Rohirrim rescuing the forces of Minas Tirith from certain defeat, and it never fails to stir my emotions, Arthur writes. Wait, a fate worse than death would be getting turned into an immortal creature? Literally. <laughs> Arthur's number one pick, <laughs> District 9. Wickes gets into a mech and saves Christopher Johnson from the MNU troops. The mech also catches an RPG to save the command module and Christopher's son from destruction. Within this absolutely jaw-dropping action sequence, Neil Blomkamp wisely includes a great personal moment between Wickes and Christopher that really makes the final product something special. Man, I wish he'd remembered all that stuff when he did Elysium. Yeah, me too. <sighs> that catch, though, that catch is awesome. Do you remember that? I do, yes. Yeah, That's that awesome. is a great moment. So he's in a different mech in Elysium. Not even a mech, it's an exosuit. It's just uh, a, yeah. Paul Weimer says his three favorite rescues. Number three, in Jurassic Park, the surviving humans are saved at the climax of the movie as they are being cornered by a pack of velociraptors by the eucatastrophic, yes, it's a real word, Paul writes, arrival of a T-Rex whose desire for raptor snacks allows the humans to escape. Deus ex T-Rexica. 
Do you like how that banner conveniently like wafts down to the ground during the fight? Chevrons. What, what does it say? What does the banner say? Um, Age of Dinosaurs is now concluded. It's something like that. What does it say? Rats, I should know this. Uh, <laughs> oh, God it. Oh, wait, I like that one. It's, it's like something ironic. What is it, Dingus? What does the banner say? It says, when dinosaurs rule the earth. And it falls, meaning yeah, no longer see? rule. I get it. By the way, there's a moment in um, uh, Transformers Age of Extinction where uh, Mark Wahlberg goes out on his idyllic porch during an idyllic sunset under the idyllic Texas sky, and this fantastic shooting star goes right by him, oh. and, and he doesn't react. <laughs> I'm like, who wouldn't even like turn his head to look at that? He's not acting. And it <laughs> almost That almost made me want to go, okay, we're done here. When, well, you when know, that shooting star goes by at that point in the movie where he's like got his leg up and it's like uh, and there's that's a shooting Optimus star that's like a temple that's like uh, an Indiana Jones like well, Steven Spielberg moment well you know what Dingus I realized that oh. when I saw Steven Spielberg's name as one of the producers uh, ah yeah Transformers I was like oh that's what the shooting star was uh, very good very good very good obviously put in post production because Wahlberg can't be arsed to react <laughs> Paul's number two pick in the two towers. Sam Gamgee, Gamgee, how do you say Jesus? Really? Name. I don't know how to say it. It's really happening. Sam Gamgee, Tatooine, unlikely of heroes, storms the Orc Tower to rescue the captured Frodo. Even with the power of the ring to help him, it's a heroic rescue of the First Order. Well, yeah, but without the ring, it would have been even more heroic. It's true. Paul Weimer's number one pick with the best swordsman in Spain. A giant from Greenland, a Holocaust cloak, a wheelbarrow, and a helping of guile, a recently back from near-death Wesley, assaults a castle to rescue Buttercup, the eponymous Princess Bride. Always a Princess Bride, never a bridesmaid. That's Robin Wright for you. (laughs) Grant Stewart says... I'm going to pick up the challenge laid down on the show last week Uh, and give you my three by three with a guess as to which illustrious host picks them. I'm not clear I understand the rules on this grant, but let's see how this goes. In third place, Tom Chick. Aliens, the juicy colonialist's daughter we need to rescue from their virginity, credited on IMDb as being a quote from Apone, incorrect, um, but oh, as he's right. But I'm pretty sure it was Private Frost, as I gave this movie its annual watch recently. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know if Grant- that was on my list, but not yours. So his challenge. But really- there, there's a there's a Cameron thing going on there, so he's not far off. Yeah, but it's just a bunch of crap. So the the whole point of that scene is to show how Ripley is like how they're kind of abrasive to her and you know her having like lost her daughter and being a woman she doesn't really think that's funny and it's set and then later she finds out there's a synthetic person there and she doesn't like the cornbread uh so it's just one of these things to annoy her and to set ripley apart as other from these people like the joke about rescuing the colonist's daughter from their virginity all right grant we give you half a point so far so all right grant score it's a tough frame all right in second place Christian, uh, Dingus, he seems to have a problem with your last name. Let me see if I can pronounce this. Mikhailichenko. Uh, I prefer to be called uh, Magically Delicious. <laughs> he writes, Jacob's Ladder. Uh. 
I only saw this movie last year. Grant, really? Uh, and who knows what I had been doing for 23 years that had been more important. The story is being told in flashback, or maybe a delusion, or possibly drug-induced psychosis, after an incident in Vietnam as Jacob is being evacuated as a casualty on a chopper. What went on during the incident and the authenticity of anything else we see is pretty much up for debate, but the whole movie uses this rescue as a framing device. Dingus, he he pegged you as, I guess, that you would have picked this. How do you grade him on that one? Uh, I would have to grade him as... Uh, this is not going. This is going to have to be a failing grade because I don't. I don't like movies that have uh, dreams that you, you wake up and it's a, it's a dream. Also, he's not being rescued because he does. Yeah, that's not a rescue. Yeah, that's pretty. That's a failed rescue, Grant. Yeah, Brazil is an imaginary. <laughs> I love what you're trying to do, Grant, but uh, obviously, if you look at my picks, they're much more conventional than something as. Uh, crazy as Jacob's Ladder. I Grant, yeah. you, Grant, you still have half a point, so you got that going for you. All right, Grant, in the home stretch, in first place, Kelly Wand, he writes, mm. Commando, a, a gritty <laughs> fly-on-the-wall documentary about the draining emotional impact a kidnapped daughter has on a retired Special Forces commando. Has everything you would expect from an 85 Schwarzenegger movie. That's his daughter? Complete with cigars, an unnecessary pair of Speedos, a bulletproof flower bed, and a villain who, to quote Frankie Boyle, is, quote, so in the closet he's bumming Mr. Tumnus and Narnia, end quote. <laughs> wow. Uh, Grant observes it just really is the ultimate rescue movie. Kelly Wand, how do you grade Grant's pick there? Well, wait, Radon Chong's uh, his daughter, right? Isn't she just like some chick he runs into? I don't know. Okay, I give him a. What, what are my options? I so, give him a three. All right, so Grant, that's three and a half points for you. You are now in the lead this week. Yeah. Congratulations, Grant. The Dingus Jacobs ladder link is always a uh, long shot. I don't think Dingus has seen any Aiden Lynn movies besides Fatal Attraction. That's my guess. Aiden. How do you say his first name? Aiden. <laughs> Adrian? Wait, does he have a Adrian Line. Come on. Line? Adrian? His name is Adrian? Isn't it? You might be right. I thought it was, I was yeah. just like Aiden Lynn. Adrian Lyne? Adrian's yeah, might pronounced Lynn, but it's Adrian. Did he do that? Yeah, Dingus? Do you know who plays Mr. Tumnus? Is it James McAvoy? Yeah. Wow, I can't believe I knew. What? Uh-huh. He's the centaur in Chronicles of Narnia. Isn't he a centaur, Dingus? McAvoy or? is the centaur. Or fawn. He's a fawn. He, he might be a fainting goat. I'm not sure. He is like a fawn or a centaur or something. Yeah. Fainting Goat Simulator. Mark Liberatore writes, number three, uh, there's a quote I'm not going to read. I don't know how to do it. Uh, David something or other, played by Bruce Willis, apparently never thought about his unbreakability before a doctor says something to him about uh, him being in a train wreck. The protagonist nearly dies in a residential swimming pool. Children rescue him. It's a small thing in the story, but I love that the invulnerable hero has to be rescued by the people he's trying to help and that it's the kids that do the saving. I bet you like this one, Dingus, because you're a fan of this movie. Uh, yeah, I'm a big fan of Unbreakable. I think I am, too. David Dunn, he has like an alliterative name, because he's a superhero. That's his name, David Dunn? I think so. Isn't that right, Dingus? I, I don't remember. There's like a deleted scene where he has this really awkward dinner with Robin Wright that's kind of good. Oh, that's uh, right. I, I, I suddenly blanked that she was the she was the uh, estranged wife or estranged husband. And there was a scene where Mr. Glass 
like hurts himself riding a roller coaster. Right. I can do it. And gets thrown, breaks all his bones. We should remember that for our three by three on roller coasters. Well, it wasn't technically a coaster. It was like Scrambler. Yeah, that is. Uh, I do. It's like a yeah. I do. It's want to kill you. It's a vomit machine. Yeah. Uh, Mark's number two pick. (laughs) The quote is: "You've just blown the transaxle. You're just grinding metal. He's down. Uh, See, he's down." Uh, in Aliens, of course, Mark writes, the Marines don't believe Ripley until things go south. She takes matters into her own hands after the gormless Gorman. Uh, Mark, writes, like Mark writes that that's for you, Kelly Wand. Yeah. Uh, after the gormless Gorman can't get it together. It still amazes me that Ripley was the protagonist in one of the most testosterone-heavy movies of the 80s. Mark, obviously not familiar with the arc of James Cameron's career with strong yeah. women. Which, uh, which, bends, the, which, which bends toward femininity. <laughs> then Mark writes, and it saddens me. I see you. We don't have more awesome and independent female lead characters in mainstream movies as a result. Uh, Mark, go see him. Well, and the daughter in Transformers, she gets shit done. And 300, Rise of an Empire. I, I just want to make it clear that of all the people in this podcast, only one of us has quoted Avatar, and it's not me. <laughs> when? Just now. Which one's Bill Paxton in that movie? He's Hudson, sir. I'm Hicks. Yeah. Mm. I did it backwards, and you guys didn't call me. Uh, you both how do I get out of this chicken shit podcast? I'm doing the thing that... Why don't you put Dugas in charge? He's very good, yeah. Uh, Mark's <laughs> number one pick. Uh, the quote is... You think you can... I'm not going to read that. Uh, in Independence Day... <laughs> Independence Day. You're not going to read Roland Emmerich? What are you, why are you bailing? Stop yeah, that! I, I don't know what these lines are. I don't know how to do the proper... You can reflection. read words. We yeah. know you can read words. Okay, what? Hey, I want to hear it. Here we go. I'm gonna re- okay, here we go. Thank you really think you can fly that thing? You really think you can do all that bullshit you just said? <laughs> there. Are you happy? That's what you guys signed up for. That's what you got. I remember those lines. Uh, Mark writes, in Independence Day, a black man and a Jew save the world. <laughs> Emmerichisms and terrible dialogue aside, do rescues get any better than that? Is that why it's the best? <laughs> it is ethnic It is for Mark Liberatore. Huh. Wolfgang Schuster writes... I mean, Hirsch, obviously. Our, our listeners have the most awesome names. I know. Really yeah. Awesome. Why can't we have names like that? Uh, Wolfgang Schuster writes, My third favorite rescue in a movie is when Hiccup saves Toothless after trying to kill him, specifically when he makes the artificial tail wing, aww, allowing Toothless to fly out of the small area he's been trapped in. Uh, what Wolfgang Schuster neglected to mention, that is, of course, from How to Train Your Dragon. Nice. I didn't see that movie. Wolfgang Schuster's number... Uh, is that true, Kelly Wand? Yeah. What would what would you think if I told you that Roger Deakins did the cinematography for it? Whoa! I would say it's a computer movie, so that's not possible. <laughs> well, he got his name on his cinematographer. What would you say if I told you that Kristen in the butthole wig is in that movie? I would say it's her voice, and I can't masturbate to that as easily. <laughs> Jesus, Kelly, want too much Jeez. information. Yeah. What if she uh, plays the twin of T.J. Miller? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly Wan, did you have the problem with the movie Brave with Kelly McDonald in the lead? Fuck no. Wolfgang Schuster's number two pick. My second favorite rescue in a movie is from the end of, oh God, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. 
as the, the temp- end? As the temple is collapsing around them, Indy attempts to save Elsa, but her greed for the cup <laughs> is, a rescue. is too strong that she dies. Wait, wait for it. Wait for it. Why did... As soon as she it's falls, coming. Just wait for it. As soon yeah. as she falls to her death, Indy finds himself in the same predicament. However, uh, Henry Jones convinces him it's not worth it. That's dumb. And and he, and the, it's lovely because then Sean Connery calls him by the name he wants to go by. Junior. Yeah. No. Stop it. It's what the dog's it? name. Hank. Hank. What is his name? Henry. Sean. No. What he, is Indiana Jones' name? It doesn't matter. He calls he calls him Indiana at last. I mean, he's called him Junior oh. at the time. He finally, he finally calls him Indiana. But the dog's name was Indiana, right? Isn't that the joke? Yeah. Yes. Indiana Smith. What's his yeah. real name, though? What's his real first name? We don't know. Henry. I think Wolfgang. What? You guys, you guys, you guys are terrible at Indiana. Wait, are we talking about the monkey? <laughs> Bad dates. <laughs> Wolfgang Schuster's number one pick, his favorite rescue in a movie, is when Hogarth... Does that, by the way, tell you guys what the movie's from? I can think of one movie where there's a character named... Yeah, Hulk. I was considering this one as one yeah. of my runners-up. This is a, uh, well, it's not a the, great choice, actually. It's not the choice, though, that I think I would have picked. But it's when Hogarth risks his own life to save the Iron Giant from the power station. I don't know how you can do that and not do the Superman moment. Because that's a rescue. Right, 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 right. Superman never rescues anybody. Kelly, one, you need to see the Iron Giant. Okay. And until then, just, just shut your mouth about it. That's... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my god. Are you going to tell me you haven't seen The Iron Giant? Yeah, I've seen it. Okay. I just don't remember it. Tom, is that your favorite Jennifer Aniston movie? After We're the Millers? That should be a 3 by 3 She's so good in that. Because she doesn't have to act with anyone because it's just her voice. Um, I think I would say it is. It's no Horrible Bosses, though, where she's a sexy dentist. <laughs> I like um, the one where she's in a relationship. Derailed with Claire yeah. Owen? Uh, I used to own that. The Good Girl? Oh, you know, I bet she is. I bet I do like her in The Good Girl. Because she's supposed yeah, to be like, surly really and disaffected. And yeah, that's one of those like weird Mike White indie movies, isn't it? She has an affair with Jake Gyllenhaal, and he thinks he's uh, J.D. Salinger's character. Well, who, who among us haven't done that? <laughs> Wait, that's Chandler. Jaime Cabrera writes... <laughs> Greetings, gentlemen. Wait, I thought I was doing it right. Are you laughing at me, Dingus? No, I'm just laughing at the transition. I love it when you oh. do that. When Kelly Wan says some <laughs> non sequitur and you go, okay, <laughs> coming next, it's El Guapo. He writes, here's his top three rescues in movies. Number three, Labyrinth. A young Jennifer Connelly, Kelly Wan. Mm. All Jennifer Connelly. Has to rescue her little brother from the evil David Bowie, Kelly right. Wan. Uh, taps into our fear. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Number two, Princess Bride, the Dread Pirate Roberts, rescues the princess by defeating Vizini and his two henchmen. What? Uh, uh, eh. Is that wrong? I, I know, that's right. Yeah. Uh, and, oh, here we go, here we go. Number one, Big Trouble in Little China. Jack mm-hmm. Burton rescues, well, everyone by killing Lopan. Doesn't Wang rescue him, though? What do you mean, that's everyone? A- there's a lot of rescuing back and forth. Everybody rescues everyone. It's a very collaborative effort in Big Trouble in Little China. Speaking of cool names, Ladnar Sivad. Wow. wow. You've got to be making these up. This is so awesome. Ladnar- Are we going to have Emmett Coffin soon? I love that. 
Hey guys, thanks for all the hours of rambling, not in a bad way, movie slash nerd talk. Finally got caught up with all the episodes, so I can actually submit something to the 3x3. I don't have three for rescues in a movie, but one immediately came to mind as the entire film is basically one giant rescue. Okay, Ladner, we'll see where you go. Uh, Oh, good lord. Uh, 2005's... I can't read that. The Protector, starring Tony Jaa. Wow. What? Uh, when Cam's baby brother, who happens to be an elephant, gets kidnapped, or is it elephant-napped, Ladnir poses, uh, by evil ivory traders, he goes balls-out ballistic to get him back. Lots of cool set pieces here for martial arts action, uh, mm. but the highlight for me is the final rescue scene with whips, bones breaking, and sweaty guys hugging baby elephants before throwing them through windows. Or, as Kelly Wan calls it, Friday night. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't write that that was my editorial oh I thought he had his number that was nice <laughs> oh here here. by the way side note for Kelly please say quote be careful my elephant end quote in your totally racist Asian white man voice to help reenact the final scene so here's the line for you Kelly Wand be careful my elephant go be careful my elephant that was your I, white man racist voice. I can't do it. It's too. I get. I gotta. Hang on. <laughs> Be careful, white man. You didn't do my elephant. You're uh, terrible at taking stage directions, Kelly Wand. Let's talk about my acting <laughs> Absolutely not. Oh God, here we go. By the way, Ladner uh, concludes by writing, "I learned taking a note from Kelly here that you <laughs> totally don't want to a f- f- fuck with Tony Jaw's elephants." And rescuing them requires breaking lots of bones with bones. I also learned that watching the poorly made sequel starring Riza is not really a good use of your time. Wow. Oh, the man with the iron giants. I love how you totally stumbled over into going to a profanity, Tom. That was I awesome. didn't know if I could, but I figured this late in the podcast, most children have fallen asleep. <laughs> Absolutely. That was awesome. Not just children. <laughs> F- 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 <laughs> Wait, I don't understand the last reference to me in that. Like, I'll uh, take a page from Kelly Wan's playbook and kill all the elephants. What was that? Maybe if you had done the voice correctly. Why, man? Sorry, a little too late, Kelly Wan. Now, my throat. there's got to be some sort of joke we can make between white man and white elephant gifts. You, you work on that. Yeah, uh, work. On, give it. Give us some. Give us a treatment for that one by tomorrow, Kelly Wan. Yeah. Uh, rescues are good when they're unexpected. Dave Perkins writes that he hopes everyone understands the difference between an escape and a rescue. He's uh, sure that I called everyone on that distinction. Dave, I'm sorry, that has not happened because most people do understand the distinction. But thanks for looking out for us. Um, let's see. He writes, number three, when the T-Rex knocks the SUV off a cliff into a tree in Jurassic Park and Sam Neill climbs in to rescue the boy from inside. Not a rescue. That's more of an escape, I think. Dinosaurs declared saviors of Jurassic Park. Well, Dave does write that if Sam Neill had been in the SUV when it was knocked off, it would be an escape. Uh, On the part of the dinosaur? I think the lawyer gets rescued from the toilet by the dinosaur. He gets rescued from his life. (laughs) That's called... Whoa, Tom went long on that. Yeah. Ah. Damn, bitch. I better step up my game, yo. Dave Perkins' number two pick. When Sully and Mike rescue Boo from the Scream Extractor in Monsters, Inc. 
and the chase through the doors ensues. <laughs> and chase through the door ensues. And then number one, oh good lord, when Indiana Jones rescues his hat after he rolls through a sliding stone door and the hat is left behind. Wait. All right, all right Dave. Fun. Dave, you are on notice. Fortunately, we have a little PS from Michelle, who is the uh, one half of the Dave and Michelle Perkins uh, team. Uh, she writes, uh, she apparently nominated the Duke's rescue of Jack from the river in Midnight Run, but we didn't seem, we didn't want to seem like we were trying to get in Christian's pants any more than we already do. <laughs> you're, you're right, you're right in there. Michelle, thank you so much. Uh, Josh writes that he can't speak for Transformers, but he, personally he believes that Wicker Men are just robot jocks for British hippies. <laughs> wow. wow. That was awesome, Josh. There's a lot going on there. That's dense. That, my mind is blown. His it, top it, it, really Atlantic blown. Rim. Uh, his, uh, oh, that, Dingus, that was good. Why were you saving that for the whole podcast? Uh, Josh's... Uh, <laughs> Top three rescues. Number three, the island of Dr. Moreau. Which one? Be more specific. 96, Kelly Wand. David Strathairn. Shipwrecked David Thewlis. Oh, yeah. I get David Strathairn, how dare you. Shipwrecked David Thewlis is rescued by Val Kilmer and taken to the island of Dr. Moreau, where things are awesome. And he gets to have sex with Dorothy from Return to Oz in Cat Drag. Supposedly, the making of this movie was a famous train wreck that everybody involved disowned, but Josh writes, I love it. I love when creepy wolf kid recites Yates' The Second Coming at Brando's dinner party. I love Ron Perlman as the sayer of the law. I love Brando being carried around everywhere like the Ark of the Covenant. I love this whole nutty mess. I like the Michael York one. <laughs> Sorry, what were you going to say, Tom? I, he just... Uh, Josh just sold me on, on this one. How? By saying all those names? Well, I'm saying all the nutty stuff. I want to see it now. They're all nutty. They all have this... Do you know what... The, did you read the yeah, book? I know what it's about. No, but I know what it's about. It's about... Um, it's like Splice, but with stagecoaches. That's what you're going to say. <laughs> you got my number. Uh, no, it's about a guy goes to an island, and there's a dude there doing experiments crossing people with animals, right? Right. Yeah. Well, what more do you need to know? Then he turns into an animal. It's like an animal. Wait, the dude who goes to the the island gets turned into an animal? Well, in the Michael York one. Oh. He has to figure shit out as he get, as he's getting dumber. There's like a flowers for Algernon <laughs> aspect. I feel like I want to see this, though. What, the one he's talking about or the one I'm talking the about? The one he's talking about. I don't trust you. David Strathairn. David Thewlis. I love David Thewlis. Look. It's all Moreau. Have you guys seen a movie? You're Moreau. Have you guys seen a movie called London Boulevard with uh, Colin Farrell and Kira Knightley? I don't see movies with street names as the whole title of the movie. David Thewlis is so cool in that. And he's got a little part, but it's like, man, I love David Thewlis. Is it related to the other movie? Is he the same dude? He, he's kind of playing David Thewlis. Hmm. Uh, I think of David Thewlis as the dude from Naked, of course. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. That's, that's the definitive David Thewlis for you. You guess, won't be confusing him with David Strathairn if you see that, Kelly. He was on quite a hot streak, then. Mm, I'm not going to accept that pun. <laughs> Sorry. Josh's number two pick, Dracula. Which one? Very good, Kelly. <laughs> 1979. 
Uh, Frank Langella. Coppola's Dracula does kind what? of the same thing, but I chose the Langella version for uh. this because the idea that Dracula is, ask- is actually rescuing Lucy, Mina in the book, in, Co- in the Coppola version, from the unspeakable horror of being a missionary position Victorian wife and mother is made even more overt here. Langella plays the Count as both a smoldering Euro-sex god and the most interesting man in the room, catching the intelligent Lucy's attention the old-fashioned way. And for her part, she skips being seduced and just invites herself over because she knows what she wants, which makes this one the most feminist Dracula. Think about it. Fucking Oldman went to absinthe bombs to get down with Winona Ryder. (laughs) Wait, so that's less feminist, he's saying? Uh, yes. Apparently. Yeah, because Oldman had to give absinthe to Winona Ryder, whereas Lucy just took it upon herself to go on over and hang out with Langella, apparently. Yeah, but isn't he hypnotizer and shit? Uh, I don't know. Who played Lucy in the Coppola Dracula? Do we know? Uh, I think Winona dropped out. No, Winona Ryder was in the Oldman one, the Gary Oldman. Oh, it was Kevin Bacon. You guys don't know who played Lucy? Because it's making me. um... David Thewlis. Worst podcast co-hosts ever. Oh, oh no, I thought you were going to say Bo Garrett. That I would say. Okay, I'm going to listeners enjoy this podcast while I Google Dracula 1979. Oh, good lord, it's not even called Dracula. What is it called? It's called Dracula. What is Dracula Untold? Luke Evans in Dracula Untold this year? What is that? Wait, it's called Dracula Untold. Yeah. Yeah. Starring Luke Evans. We love yeah, him. We don't tell you a story. We untell a story. That popped up. It it was not looking good. How can I find the 19th century? You guys are terrible. Why don't you guys find for me who played Lucy in the Coppola Dracula? Well, I tell you... I, I told you who played Lucy during the in the Coppola Dracula. Oh, I'm sorry. The Langella Dracula is the one I want to know about. I don't yeah. care about that one. Yeah, I can't Google during the podcast. I think it will... Susan St. James. You're probably right. Josh's number one pick for a rescue is The Exorcist. Father Karras rescues the devil from being trapped inside Linda Blair. Oh. What? See, his, his runners-up, yeah, I think he was... Uh, JK. He was bunting there after those other picks. Uh, his runners-up, uh, Polly Shore from Encino Man, whatever. Uh, Jennifer Connelly rescues a baby from David Bowie's crotch in Labyrinth. Um, uh, yeah, okay. The Encino Man one's interesting. <laughs> Uh, runners up from you guys. I thought of the general, but it's kind of the whole movie. So I'd rescue them. It the whole, yeah. But uh, also have... searchers too. Cause Who? The searchers because they change it from a rescue to an assassination mission. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting, huh? That's an old western, though. It's uh, yeah. Benji, he rescues the kidnapper. No, Benji never rescues anyone. He rescued some cougars. In the third one? And some milfs in the fourth one. Oh, God. Nicely done, Tom. Other uh, great rescues. I, I, uh, okay. uh, my two favorite runners up would be um, uh, Harrison Ford in um, a little game, a little thing called Patriot Games, uh, <laughs> rescuing the royal family, uh, members of the royal family. From the uh, the attack on them in the beginning of Patriot Games, and uh, the other one is um, this is a little weird, uh, but it's um, Carl rescuing uh, the family from Doyle in Sling Blade 
by killing uh, Doyle. That works. Kelly, why do you accept that? Yeah, I wasn't listening, but it sounds right. I appreciate you. Uh, I like, it's not, you don't see, well, this is a tough one. Uh, Chris Christopherson, speaking of David Strathern, rescuing uh, David Strathern and Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio in Limbo. Ooh. That's a movie? Does that work? Yeah, sure. You sure? No. It's a little What's weird. I like it. Okay. What about the prestige? What what about it? I don't know. Is there a rescue on that? <laughs> Wait. <laughs> you want me to call the prestige? Yes. What uh, about how Lucy in the Dracula with Frank Langella is played, of course, I can't believe you guys didn't remember this, by Kate Nelligan. Oh, uh, Kate uh, Nelligan. Mm. I don't even know who she that is. In... Are you guys being facetious? No, she oh, was in the Eye of the Needle, wasn't she? Eye of the Needle, yeah. Ron Donald Sutherland. Yeah. What the heck is that? Is that like where he's a Nazi? He's a spy. Yeah, and he's yeah. going to blow the... Oh, that, that's Kate Nelligan. He's going to blow the crossing... Uh, and there's all those like fake planes they're building to trick the Nazis. Right. She falls in love with him. She has to kill him so he doesn't tell the Nazis. Wow, I can't believe I know what that is. Right. It's a it's a Ken Follett movie. Oh. Mm. I know that name too. And so you know who directed it? Oh, holy cats! I no, it can't be. Never mind. Uh, uh, who were you going to say? I can find out. Uh, I, I thought I thought it was the Return uh, um, uh, of the Jedi dude, but I'm probably wrong. Oh, yeah, there's no way Richard Marquand, no way. director of Eye of the Needle, Dingus. Don't be crazy. No, no, is it? <laughs> yes, it is. Oh, holy shit! Sorry. <laughs> Look at you, Dingus. Nice work. I just I remember reading Eye of the Needle and really liking that. I really liked that book so much. Um, uh, this, this is when I, you know, I was a child and I liked, you know, reading some Ken Follett stuff. And I remember just watching it and Ken, uh, I just like Kate Nelligan so much. Um, I can't Don- Richard Mark went right to this. That's that. Donald Sutherland would have been a cool Tarkin. Kelly Wan, that is just, that is so inappropriate, first of all, and so wrong, second of all, and third, just no. There's one Tarkin and one Tarkin only. There's what one about Uncle Tarkin. Owen? Uncle Owen, I'll buy. That I would like to see. Uh, Donald Sutherland is Uncle Owen. Although, isn't... Uh, that, isn't that you should see. Isn't uh, in Edgerton the uh, Uncle Owen in the in the new movies? Yeah, 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 yeah. Joel Edgerton, right? Joel Edgerton, yeah. yeah. Wait, what? They're bringing that character back? Well, no. He's in the prequels, but he's younger. Uh, the prequels. But Joel Edgerton, I think it was before you even knew who he was, yeah. is, uh, is Uncle Owen. Did, did you guys? Did you guys read Eye of the Needle? Do you remember that? Oh, good lord, no. what, I do remember seeing it. It's one of those, well, it's one of those things, Dingus, that was on cable, and I'm sure I saw it many times. Yeah. And it might have been one of those things that like had nudity on it, so I was so completely in it, so I was so completely titillated by like maybe naked Kate Nelligan. I don't know. Um, it was that announcer in the trailer where he had that really intense voice, like, Kate Nelligan. It's <laughs> like that. So, you know. <laughs> But I just remember gonna go down. the description of like her trying to make love with her husband, and he's like paralyzed or something. Oh God, you! And uh, I think so. And then uh, anyway, uh, what was the name of the, the operation that was it? Market Garden or something? Market Garden was the I think it was an airdrop to secure a bunch of bridges. But uh, the invasion of Normandy was. Uh, Kelly Wand will tell you <laughs> name but, of that operation. But, but what was the operation uh, where they did all those fake planes? I mean, because that's the point of Eye of the Needle, right? 
Right. It was right to trick the Nazis and make them think that they were going to cross somewhere else. Uh, right. And were they fake planes or fake tanks or? But yeah, the idea was to make it look like a concentration of military hardware uh, that was somewhere other than Normandy. Um, right. Normandy was just called Operation Ghost Protocol. <laughs> we didn't have cool names back then, Kelly Wand. That not, not names that cool for our operations. Sorry. Beachhead. Operation Beachhead. Do you know what Operation Sea Lion was? Mm, kind of a terrible name. I'm freeing sure. Shamu from. You sea would think, Lion. right? Yeah, it's like a free willy thing. I think that's. It, it, I don't know if it wasn't it the German plan to invade England, and it was it. I think, and in German, it probably would have. Would it have been in German? It would have probably sounded more forbidding. I don't know. Uh. All right, let's do more World War Two history. <laughs> who was Hitler's? Uh, who did Hitler pick to succeed him? Well, according to The Spear by James Herbert, it was uh, Himmler's... Nope, sorry, Carl Donitz, the head of the Navy. Ha ha. Someone once asked me that. This is one of those things where, you know, every what? now and then... Where did yeah. that come from? Someone, so if, no, I'll tell you why I remember this. The question is, who uh, did Hitler pick to succeed him? And people would say, oh, uh, Himmler, or, you know, they would pick some high-ranking Nazi officer. Someone once asked me this, and I think it was even in front of other people. And for whatever reason, I had just read a book about uh, about the, the U-boat fleets that, that Germany sent in, into the Atlantic. <laughs> so I actually was able to answer him, and he was trying to, like, show me up and be a real dick. He's like, I bet you don't even know who Hitler appointed as second in command. And I was like, yeah, Carl Donitz, the Admiral of the Navy. And that I was dickish of him. It was one of those, like, you, you have maybe one, this will happen to you a thousand times in your life. When somebody asks you a question you don't know the answer to, and well, you're like an, an idiot, but the one time you do know the answer, you will always remember. Yeah. And that's one of those moments for me. Even though the enemy won't remember that you bested. I'm sure no one else remembers that. He just goes back and tells everyone, yeah, Tom didn't know. (laughs) (laughs) This reminds me of that that story of, like, you going to a hostel and, like, some guy was, like, a, a... a dude who did tranquilizers for rhinoceroses or something, and, yeah. and you're like, oh, that guy totally got the drop on me, but you got the drop on this other guy. I did get the drop on that guy. Jesus. Yeah. What just happened? <laughs> Kelly, well, this is, this That's is, like something I would have said <laughs> on acid. Well, Kelly, well, speaking of things that you would say on acid, why nope. don't you now ask Dingus what his 3x3 three three is for next week? Uh-oh. What? What next week? Why, man? Oh All right, next, next week is sunglasses, and you can't use they live. Uh, Taking they live off what? the table. It's wow. too easy. I, I, I've I've heard too many glasses. nerds talk about they live. We're doing sunglasses now. All right, sunglasses mm-hmm. scenes. Kelly, one, do you have uh, any questions or objections? Well, do contact lenses count? <laughs> Or visors? Are they sunglasses? What about headphones? Are headphones sunglasses? Well, I mean, no. Okay, I think we have our answer. That's a no. Okay, Kelly, what are we seeing next week? We're seeing um, the Apes movie. Well, we'll too bad because it won't be out. Uh, we'll be seeing that in a couple of weeks. <laughs> I mean, the T Rex. Too bad because it won't be out. We will, however, see uh, Tammy. Fucks up. Melissa McCarthy and an R-rated comedy that is literally all that I know, and that's who's, all I need to know. Who's the girl in it? <sighs> Kelly Wand. <laughs> uh, so if you would like to join us for next week's podcast, we would love to have you see Tammy and join us for the conversation. It is optional. It's not mandatory. We would also love for you to send us some pics for sunglasses scenes in movies or just use yes. sunglasses. Your favorite sunglasses. Oh, P-I-C-K-S, not... 
send us pictures of sunglasses? Uh, if you want to, you can, but we will not be able to display them on the podcast because we don't have any visual uh, technology involved in this podcast yet. Really, have audio. So send us your choices. Uh, you would send those to three by three at quarter to three dot com. That's three x three at quarter to three. You spell it out dot com. You can follow me on Twitter at at qt three. Kelly, where can they follow you on Twitter? At dingus dot hashtag quarter to three. That's not true. But dingus, where can they follow you on Twitter? They can follow me at dingus underscore x. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so send us your pics, follow us on Twitter, see Tammy, uh, and we would love to have you join us next week. I am Tom Chick. I have been joined by Christian McCrawaskney. It's Christian McCrawaskney. And, uh, I believe we had Kelly Wand with us. Beware my elephant, white man. Stars, only visible in Go ahead. Someone identify this. What? I have no idea. Really, Dingus? Maybe you should listen a moment. this song <laughs> it's, a, it's a magic dragons it's their transformer song right yeah <laughs> to my kids top favorite songs are by imagine dragons i thought they were dinosaurs imagine Well, Dingus, the dinosaurs got extinct again. Like a tactical wand, lol. (laughs) That's not something someone said.